0: Meanwhile, in Justice League America, annual number four, and Justice League Europe, annual number one, cover dated 1990. And welcome to the Justice League International Bwahaha ha Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. This episode is another one of our Meanwhile episodes. Now, in these Meanwhile episodes, we take a break from the usual numbered issues, and uh, it gives us kind of a chance to look at the JLI outside of the monthly ongoing series. Now, in this case, we're going to be covering the annuals from 1990 for both Justice League America and Justice League Europe. By the way, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, if you are not aware, and I'm your host, but I have also brought along some friends. Now, each episode, I invite two different guest hosts to help me tackle the issues at hand, and, and, special information, guys, sneak peek for you, in this episode, a little later, we have got a very special guest who will be joining us for a brief chat, someone from the creative team that actually worked on one of these comic books. It's very exciting, I cannot wait to get to that. But my first co-host today is an artist, a former comic book blogger, a man I have shared... meal of barbecue with on more than one occasion. And he's a lover of Alpha Flight. Now, little tip for you people at home, being an Alpha Flight fan will help you get on this podcast as a guest. Just keep that in mind. And the truly crowning achievement of this guest is his wife Amy, lovely young lady. Amy's brilliant powers of observation when discussing both Power Girl and Jade of Earth 2 and their original costumes, both of them had uh, holes in their chest in their blouse if you recall. It was affectionately referred to as a boob window. Uh, Amy Amy developed a theory that maybe Earth 2 is a trailer park. So thank you for that insight, Amy. Folks, please help me welcome to the podcast Amy's husband, Mr. Aaron Bias. How are you doing there, buddy? Thanks for joining me here in the Antarctica Embassy. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing all right. I uh, made sure I wore my parka, or as we (laughs) around the house, my I'll-see-you-in-hell coat. Right. (laughs) It is still a bit chilly. There's a dead guy with a sombrero frozen to a helicopter out there. (laughs) Um, I'm doing all right. Uh, I mean, I've been trapped in a house uh, with my wife and three kids for nearly a year. And I'd probably push my own mother down to be able to take a trip or something. But you know, I don't live in Florida. So I've got
0: that going for me. How are you doing? Florida's doing fine down here, man. Is there a problem? We haven't taken notice of that at all. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Yeah, so I I totally feel you, man. Being cooped in the house for a long period of time is uh, wearing on all of us. So it almost feels, almost feels like we've been waiting for five years. Now, do you know why that date resonates, Aaron, if waiting for five years? Uh, I
1: believe. I'll have to check my records. But from what I'm seeing, uh, it looks as though it was, oh, five years ago or so that I called dibs on this particular Justice League comic. Uh, I think it was the second you announced that you were doing the Bwahaha podcast.
0: Yeah, this is back in December 2015, y'all. I announced the show that I was going to be doing this. I hadn't even recorded the first episode, and I announced it. And most people, most people, when they're interested in being on the show, reach out to me and say like, hey, uh, if you're interested, I'd love to be on the show or something like that. No, not not this guy. Not Aaron. No, no, no. Literally wrote Dibs on Justice League Antarctica. That's it. He just demanded it. And so uh, he was actually one of the very first guests booked and had to wait this long.
1: You know, squeaky wheel gets the grease. (laughs) Besides, were they all beating down the door to do Justice League Antarctica? I don't think so.
0: Oh my gosh, you are so unaware of the following of Justice League International, sir. I have had to turn away so many people since then who have requested this particular issue. This is a... (laughs) I'm not kidding. This is a beloved favorite issue by the fans. This is up there with Moving Day and, and the French lesson and all the... I mean... People this is one of the first things they talk about, is Justice League Antarctica, just because it's absolutely bonkers. So, yes, you you held a special spot with this opportunity. And, you know, since then, I I, don't, I can't remember the timetable here, whether we had already met and face-to-face and had eaten out. And we like our barbecue, Aaron and I, when I would come visit you up in Ohio or not. But either way, so uh, congratulations. You held on to this long. And given that you've had five years to prepare, I expect you to be totally on point and be an amazing guest.
1: Now, that was annual three, right? Because that's what I was reading. Is oh, that- my God. Of course not. I read Annual 4. It took a while to find a copy of it because they kept changing the title of the book. Uh, (laughs) I did track it down.
0: And, you know, actually, to to add fuel to that fire, technically, this thing's not even the Justice League America annual. Technically, it's just called Justice League Annual Number 4. So you've got Justice League America on the shelf. You've got Justice League Europe on the shelf. There's no Justice League book anymore, technically, just called Justice League. And yet the annual kept the naming. Anyway, it's very confusing. And to make that even... Even more confusing. Yes, the book had at
1: this point changed to Justice League America before this annual came out. But Justice League, no, nothing, just Justice League, even though it was gone uh, and they put out this annual as Justice League. It's filed under Justice League America because it's the annual concurrent to the series that had already changed its name does that make sense
0: I, I, I followed it uh, and I think everyone that's probably gotten this far along into the podcast followed it as well but a stranger walking in off the street would have no clue because I mean, it gets so confusing with Justice League and then international and America mm-hmm. and Europe and oh and then back to international and oh geez oh geez you get
1: a lot of foot traffic on podcasts <laughs>
0: Well, we could keep talking about this all day, but we do need to thank our sponsors. Folks, this episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers and other collected editions all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, each episode I select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStock Trades library. Uh, usually it's tied into this month's issue in some way shape or form and I picked Super Friends Saturday Morning Cartoon Hardcover Volume 1 specifically because this includes the reprints of the first appearances of the Global Guardians who are of course uh, going to be in the back half of this episode after we ditch Aaron. Whew. If only that could get here soon enough. Uh, after we ditch Aaron, we're going to talk about Just League Europe, which does feature the Global Guardians. So, this collection has Super Friends number 1 through 26. It features a, uh, some material from the limited collector's edition C41 and C46, which is just nonsense numbering that only makes sense to Rob Kelly. And then also includes the ultra-rare Aqua Tears meets the Super Friends, which I've never even heard of. So, anyway... You can get this thing. It's published by DC, of course. Written by E. Nelson Bridwell. Artist is Ramona Fraiden, so you know it's freaking gorgeous. And the covers by Alex Toth. I mean, come on, 160 pages, full color. Now it's a hardcover, and it's expensive. I'm not kidding. It's $69.99. Ouch! But at in stock trades, you can get it for 42% off right now. So it only costs you $40.59. So you can get this, uh, as I said, 160 pages, a bunch of great stuff, uh, and again, get to read the Global Guardians in their earliest days. So for these and all your other trade paperback needs, please visit In Stock Tr- rates.com. We also need to take a second to thank you people at home for your Patreon support. Because running the Firewater Podcast Network with so many shows requires a whole lot of online hosting and other services. And the cost to do this keeps going up. And without you people at home, we wouldn't be on the air anymore. I promise you. We, we would not be able to cover these bills on our own. So you guys really stepped up when we asked for help, and it's sincerely appreciated. If you'd like to consider supporting shows like the Just League International Podcast, please visit our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash podcast. And uh, once you're there, you can see that at different tiers you get various rewards, one of which is to get mentioned on the show of your choice. And so we'd like to sincerely appreciate everyone's support, including these folks, Bill Beer, Christopher K. Lewis, Danny Dowell, David Ace Gutierrez, Devin Clancy, George William, Gord Tolton, John Ross Haynes, Mark Baker-Wright, Martin Gray, Matt Ev, Maxwell Traver, Mike Zamkowski, Roger Prieve, Rudy Castillo, Sean Ross, and Tim Price. Again, our thanks go out to all of our patrons, and especially you folks who have chosen the Justly International as your show. Again, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Yes now go on the social media folks we want you to participate in this discussion use our hashtag #FWPodcast or just tag us at jli podcast i need to hear your love for just like antarctica you guys need to school aaron he didn't think this was a big issue oh my gosh you guys need to tell him why you love this issue also go out to our website again which is firewaterpodcast.com slash jli leave your comments there at the end of the show we always do justice log where we talk about your comments from the previous episode so i want to hear from you guys about why you love this issue so aaron This is the part of the show where we get to talk to the guest. Unfortunately, that is you. So just curious, what is your personal origin with the JLI? How would you discover the book? How would you fall in love?
1: Well, I first became aware of the JLI, or just the Justice League, I guess, uh, through my cousin Scott. Uh, Every summer, he'd uh, come down to visit my grandma and grandpa, and he'd stay for a week. And uh, he was a huge... DC fan. Now, I grew up with the DC superheroes. I grew up on Super Friends, etc. But this was like the mid-80s, so I was firmly entrenched in the, in the Marvel camp at that point uh, as Marvel was uh, 80s rebirth or whatever. But Scott introduced me to the Mayfair DC Heroes game. Uh, he, uh, he's the one who introduced me to the Suicide Squad, the supervillain Suicide Squad, not the military book. And uh, most memorably, he uh, introduced me to the Justice League. League. Not the Justice League of anything, just the Justice League. And that's where I first met Guy Gardner, Booster Gold, Blue Beetle, Mr. Miracle, uh, Ice Maiden and Green Flame I vaguely remembered from as you mentioned earlier the Super Friends because that was where the Global Guardians had debuted and they were both members of the mm-hmm. Global Guardians at the time although oddly I, I the thing I took away I took away two characters from that more than anything probably because I was like seven that was like Bushmaster
0: and uh, Jack-o'-lantern all right yeah we'll be talking about them on the back half of this episode
1: oh, I'm sorry I'm missing out on that <laughs> um, yeah I, I vaguely remember uh, Martian Manhunter. I, I I really only knew of him because I'd been baffled by him when his superpowers figure came out. There were commercials and and Martian Manhunter, and I was like, "Who's that guy?" <laughs> I, I came up, and my cousin was like, "No, he's been around since the '50s." And I'm like, "Oh, really?" The first issue of of Justice League I bought, I bought annual number two because it was guest starring the Joker, and that was back when the Joker was still just kind of a Fun, slightly scary Batman villain, and not stealing people's faces. Um, <laughs> but I, it was, it was so much fun. I was just instantly hooked, and I, I really, I remember Martian Manhunter's Oreo addiction really set the tone for me of how this book was going
0: to run. And so I started picking it up on the regular. That's awesome. So did you stick with it for a long time? Did it, did it stay part of your DNA, or was it you just kind of moved past it? Where, 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 where did it go from there?
1: I'm trying to remember whereabouts I dropped off. I know. I read it well after the split uh, into the two books. I Mm -hmm. started both books. I was sad that McGuire had kind of disappeared for a while. I was kind of enamored of Bart Sears. Sure. But I think I, it probably was after I went away to college that I kind of had let it drop. See, that's how it works. You, you discover girls, comic books get
0: left behind. That's why well, I still read comics.
1: It's it's also hard to pick up regular stuff when you live in a dormitory downtown, miles and miles away from a comic shop and uh,
0: you don't have a car. <laughs> well, did you did you hang around long enough at least for this annual, oh yes, no, I okay, this, there we
1: go. I had I had uh, this one and probably a couple after this.
0: So. There we go. Good to hear you were there on the ground for this one because, as I said, people love it, Aaron. Jeez,
1: all right, it's obviously one of my favorites since I, you know, secured this five years ago. <laughs>
0: Secured as in barged his way in. All right, folks, we're going to get into this. So if you can't seem to locate your copy of Justice League Antarctica uh, or Justice League America Annual Number 4, whatever you want to call it, uh, you can go out to our website, which is firewaterpodcastcom slash JLI. There we will have a gallery post where we'll post some of the images from this issue. Not all of them. I mean, geez, people, just go buy a copy of it. In fact, it's in the uh, omnibus that just came out, so you can get it there, too. All right. So this is Justice League America Annual Number 4, although officially in the indicia, it's Justice League Annual Number 4. Published by DC Comics. Cover is simply 1990. It doesn't give a specific month, but it was on the shelves February 27th, 1990. Cover price is $2, eight shiny quarters. Now that's uh, about twice the price of a normal issue, but you get 56 pages of story. Not bad. Cover is by uh, Kevin McGuire and Joe Rubenstein. There's a couple names we haven't heard in a while and probably made uh, little Aaron Bias very happy since he hadn't seen Kevin in a long time. Uh, Aaron, why don't you describe the cover to us?
1: Well, the cover, it starts at the top. It's got a kind of a yellow strip with like red sprinkle pattern in it, a very 80s design motif, almost kind of uh, reminiscent of the uh, old checkered go-go stripe, but totally not. (laughs) Um, And then it features uh, the tagline, they said it shouldn't be done, but that never stopped us before. And then the logo is the standard JLA logo font, but uh, Antarctica has been rubber stamped over the word America. The image we're given a back view of the now recurring comedy foils the Injustice League: Major Disaster, Clock King, Multi Man, Clue Master, and Big Sir. Big sir has turned three quarters and is looking to his right at an incompetent green lantern nort who is speaking behind his hand conspiratorily saying, uh, guys, don't look now. But as he looks into the camera with his left eye.
0: It's brilliantly done. I mean, we're looking at the back of everyone's head, which is absolutely hilarious. I mean, if you didn't know the, you know, the Maguire, by this point, already famous Kevin Maguire cover of Justice League number 1, because, you know, it's already been homaged in Justice League International number 24 and Justice League Europe number 1. If you weren't aware of the Kevin Maguire standard of that style, this cover would probably confuse the heck out of you. Why is everyone back turned to the camera kind of thing? But I think this one really kind of sets the stage for so many parodies to come, because it's like, this is the first one I think think, at least to me, where they do that cover and they say, hey, we can poke fun at this. Pretty hardcore. And I I think it works really well for that. You know, it it
1: does. uh, And it's funny because it sort of like breaks most of the rules of cover design. Uh, You know, turning your back to the audience is always kind of a no-no. You want to avoid back or over-the-shoulder views unless it's you know, supposed to be a mystery who you're looking at that sort of thing um and then of course mcguire Kevin is known for his like faces, his wonderful facial expressions and and uh, and the, the portraits of all the characters, so it's really funny that. Uh, everybody but Big Sir and Nort are, like, turned away. You can't see them at all. You just see the backs of their heads. That, that stark white background uh, creates a really effective negative space, and it kind of brings the focus onto the characters, onto the figures, and it also kind of foreshadows the location of the story.
0: Ah, that's clever. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Now, Maguire was really good at always using uh, a solid color background. Like, not very busy background, solid color. We saw a lot of that through his entire run. But having it be white is brilliant. I need to think about the snow. Yeah, good call.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say the composition, the way they're arranged, really leads your eye like pretty effectively straight to Nort. You know, you follow that kind of a a Z trail right over to Nort, which is where you need to be.
0: It's interesting. I I just noticed this very this very second looking at this. If you look at Major Disaster, his arms are not at his side; they are clearly crossed, which is exactly (laughs) the position Guy Gardner was in. Which was the front position of Justice League number one? So he's doing the guy Gardner. We just can't tell. And Kevin McGuire thought it through enough to actually have his arms coming in, like you know, so you don't see the arms at the side. That's hilarious! I was mean, so well done, so well done. Now it is worth mentioning there are two members missing from the cover. We don't get um, Scarlet Skier, and we don't get the Mighty Bruce, uh, which is sad. But uh, it's uh, I think it works better with a smaller group of people.
1: I think so too. And you know, the Mighty Bruce is just kind of unkempt. There's really nothing. <laughs> <laughs> to the mighty Bruce, apart from his slovenliness and the scarlet skier. Is almost like a cameo when he does turn up in the story, so I'm mean, actually leaving him out.
0: And actually, Bruce, uh, given the the how little you see of the people, he'd probably be mistaken for a woman actually from the back because he's got the long hair and you can't see a scruffy beard or glasses or anything. But right. And just addressing the yellow strip for just a second across the top, uh, the annuals of 1990 all had this sort of confetti strip across the top. This one's yellow; would be different colors on other other ones, but that was a, their attempt. I, I guess it's like a poor man's go-go checks. I'm not really sure, but. Uh, Yeah. All right. Let's get inside this thing, folks. Plot is by Keith Giffen. Script is by JMD Mateus. Penciler is Mike McCone. Inker is Bob Smith. Letter is Bob LaPan. Colorist is Gene D'Angelo. Assistant editor, Kevin Dooley. And editor, Andy Helfer. Now, the issue itself is called What's Black and White and Black and White and Blue. And it just stops there running off the page. I assume it just continues black and white, black and white, black and white. But why don't you go ahead and start us off? Okay, we begin with
1: Major Disaster and Big Sir waiting in line at the unemployment office. It's the 80s, and despite all the wealth that should be trickling down, times are tough for D-list supervillains. Big Sir is asking too many questions in his childlike way, and Major Disaster is getting frustrated. He snaps at Big Sir, half apologizes, and begins to lament not having followed in his father's footsteps and become a dentist. Big Sir gets excited and points out that Clue Master and Clock King are waiting in the next line. Big Sir tries to get the attention of his teammates, but they're pretending they don't hear him. Big Sir, not taking the hint, becomes louder and wavier. Major Disaster begins trying to talk his old teammates into pulling one last heist so they can retire in style. After all, it's not like claiming unemployment from their jobs as supervillains is going to get them anything. They're interrupted by the clerk at the counter who calls for the next applicant. The clerk turns out to be none other than Major Disaster's old cellmate and computer whiz, the mighty Bruce, now working at the unemployment agency. Bruce helps them locate Multiman, who's working as a butler for a delusional senior citizen. Multi Man wants nothing to do with the Injustice League. Unfortunately, Big Sir, wanting to cheer up the sick old lady, Multi Man for tries to take her an extra pillow. When the paranoid senior awakens to find a hulking giant standing over her with a pillow, she dies of shock. Well, she's only mostly dead, but she does fire Multiman. (laughs) With the entire Injustice League now unemployed, except for Bruce, presumably, they go forward with their plans for a big heist, robbing the Metropolitan Museum of Sundries, where the world-famous Dooley Diamond is currently on display. Things do not go according to plan, however, as the Injustice League burst into the museum in the midst of an armed robbery of a charity gala. The robbers are foreign terrorists who mistake the Injustice League for heroes and open fire. Being shot makes Big Sir angry. One thing leads to another, and before you can say, by the Injustice League are front page news as heroes. The Injustice League are bemused by the way things turned out, even expressing having enjoyed being admired and respected for once. But they're still unemployed and broke. What options do they have? At Major Disaster's suggestion, the Injustice League approached the JLA to offer their services as heroes. They're serious, sincere, and they do have superpowers. John Jones nearly laughs Major Disaster out of the office, while Guy Gardner and Oberon intimidate Cluemaster. But Max Lord has a thought. Maybe, just maybe, the Injustice League would be less of a threat, or at least less of a nuisance, if they did hire them. No, wait. Hear him out. Have you heard of the Peter Principle, where you promote incompetent workers into positions where they could do the least harm to the business? (laughs) Maybe this would also be a good way for them to, you know, deal with Nort. The Injustice League and Nort are sent to the newest Justice League embassy, Antarctica. After a send-off by Martian Manhunter and Power Girl, who were brought in in case things got rough, the new recruits are left to their own devices and their boredom. Nort, who Big Sir has instantly fallen in love with and refers to as Doggy, decides to go on patrol. Because, you know, heroes. Big Sir, fearing that his dog has run away, chases after him, crying. Nort stumbles into an Antarctic research facility that looks like it's seen some recent trouble. Landing, Nort investigates and finds nothing but dressed skeletons or mane of the staff. Meanwhile, Big Sir, still pursuing on foot, stumbles onto a lot of, quote, cute little animal tracks, unquote, in the snow. He follows, hoping the animals will tell him where Doggy went. Nort has returned to the JL Antarctica base, and he's brought along a VHS tape he found at the research facility. Major Disaster puts the tape in the VCR, and we jump cut to, of all people, the Scarlet Skier. Apparently, Nort invited him to join the JL Antarctica as well. The skier, trapped on Earth since his last encounter with Nort, has a bit of trouble with his ski's motor, which Nort repaired, and takes a tumble into a snowbank. He finds loads of odd animal
0: tracks and hears an ominous cry of eep, eep, eep in the distance. I'll take it from there. It turns out the facility that Nort stumbled upon was a legitimate French research lab. Now, unfortunately, the head of this project was conducting some legal biological experiments on animals genetically splicing them with piranhas because you know that's what you do uh, which then transformed these animals into ravenous killers that slaughtered everyone at the base. And in a glorious full-page splash page, it's finally revealed that these animals are, in fact, a horde of hundreds of killer penguins. Because of course <laughs> it is. The penguins are attacking the arriving Scarlet Skier, who by chance has managed to meet up with Big Sur. The Justice League Antarctica heroes, and I use the term very loosely here, uh, they rescue Scarlet Skier and Big Sur. They then retreat to their headquarters and try to hold off the killer penguins. But it's a losing battle and things are reaching crisis proportions quickly. Uh, Meanwhile, Captain Adam and Maxwell Lord both learn of the research facility incident and dispatch a cooperative team of Justice League America and European members, including Martian Manhunter, Captain Adam, Fire, Flash, Blue Beetle, Elongated Man, and Metamorpho. When the team arrives in Antarctica, they discover that the Penguins have overwhelmed the JL Ant headquarters. Yes, we're going with JL Ant, because Marshman Manhunter doesn't want them being called JLA. Inside the base, the JL Ant members are trapped and death is imminent. Major Disaster makes a momentous decision. He says, I just have to be free and clear to use my powers to its fullest extent. It's time, once and for all, that I prove that I've got what it takes to be a hero. Now, while the American and European teams are attempting to control these killer Uh, an earthquake erupts across the region, causing the JL Ant headquarters to collapse and plummet underground. Major Disaster's powers are responsible for the earthquake, burying the JL Ant headquarters to stop the horde of killer penguins. The Justice League Antarctica members find themselves buried alive, but Nortz managed to encase his teammates inside a green bubble, saving all of them. Well, at least as long as the air holds out, which, according to Clock King, is only 27 minutes and 42 seconds longer. Fearing for their lives, they all miraculously... find faith in religion, and start singing Amazing Grace. Because of their awful singing, Elongated Man is actually able to locate the team, and they are rescued. Later at the JLA, and I mean Justice League America Embassy, Maxwell Lord reviews the Justice League Antarctica Charter, and in another brilliant full-page splash panel, uh, we get a memo that reads simply, To all embassies from Maxwell Lord regarding Justice League Antarctica. The memo simply reads, Never mind. Signed, Maxwell Lord. The Antarctica team is disbanded, uh, but we end up with eight profile pics at the very end. One of each member, uh, and Nord is wearing Groucho Marx glasses with a nose and mustache and holding a cigar. Each member has some hilarious text explaining what they're up to now, like major disasters in dental school and Big Sur won a game show and scarlet skiers looking for work on the slopes of uh, Aspen, Colorado, and and so on and so on. And then a very small next-issue box at the bottom says, and it's got a lot of words crammed in here, says, so ending the stirring saga of Justice League Antarctica, unless, of course, sales in the issue are really good, in which case all the stuff we just told you on this last page isn't true, and you can expect a new monthly series and a half a dozen <laughs> miniseries and at least two prestige format books. And let's not forget the TV movie and the action figures. And Helfer's raise. And if Helfer gets a raise, then how about Giffen and Demetrius? And what about Bob LePan? I mean, you know how hard it is to cram all these words into such a small space? And then there's that Dooley guy. So uh, they, they had a lot of fun going on here with this thing. This thing oh, it's such a hoot. So all right. I think it's fair to say we probably both love this, but I want to get your feedback. What do you, what do you tell me? Some highlights from this issue for you.
1: Uh, well, first of all, before I move on to that, I do want to comment that I like the self-awareness of at least two prestige format books. Because <laughs> they was such a big deal. Like at the time, this was out every every week. Somebody was getting a prestige format book by somebody you may not have even heard of, but it was painted in watercolor and came yes. perfect. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> um, some of the things that I, that I noticed that I thought were pretty funny. Uh, Multiman's employer is named Mrs. Cripplebush. <laughs> what a horrible name. It is a horrible name. Under, under team affiliation, Nort's JLI profile doesn't list him as a Green Lantern. It lists him as a member of the ASPCA. <laughs> Uh, The sign in the foreground of the top panel on page 25, when Nord arrives in the the ruins of the French research facility, says in English, you don't have to be three foot tall and have a beak to work here, but it helps. (laughs) Which is, of course, more (laughs) foreshadowing for the penguins.
0: I never noticed that.
1: That's hilarious. The destroyed lab and the tunnel dug through the floor, of course, nods to 1982's The Thing by John Carpenter. And then I, you know, I love that the Scarlet Skier who obviously was meant to be a parody of the Silver Surfer, but I oh, love that yeah. when first when he first shows up, he's monologuing to himself. He's like just shouting exposition to himself as a as a complete parody of like '70s
0: Silver Surfer dialogue. They really tapped into something there with that Silver Surfer mocking on him. But we covered an issue a little while back with Scarlet Skier, and yeah, they they've really got a feel for that, and it's really hilarious.
1: Oh, one more thing I noticed uh, just a little bit before we were recording there is in the videotape when they watch the videotape uh, of the French scientist Mm -hmm. he refers to someone named Schmidlap right
0: yeah I noticed that
1: which I assume is some sort of reference to Commodore Schmidlap who was that was an alias of the Penguin in the 1966
0: Batman oh my god that's brilliant I see I I knew I knew the name from somewhere and I just assumed it was you know pop culture somewhere but that is genius
1: yeah I don't know if um Maurice and Jean are references to anything else or Jean, but I couldn't, I I couldn't find anything on that. But uh, yeah, Schmidlap has got to be a nod to Burgess
0: Meredith. Oh yeah. Well, Jim DiMatteis is not going to miss a chance for a pop culture reference, especially one that ties to penguins. So, oh my gosh, I I spent a ridiculous amount of time trying to figure out if these penguins were connected with Lobos killer penguins later. Uh, (laughs) I can't find a correlation here, but both are by Giffen. So it seems like how could they not be connected? Right. (laughs) That does seem, that does seem likely. Definitely. So, All right, I'll trip hammer through my notes here, too. So, like, the issue title is uh, What's Black and White and Black and White and Black and White and Black and White. I didn't get it at first. I thought, cause it cuts off. This is BL. I thought maybe they're trying to say black and white and blue. And then I realized, okay, no, it's black and white repeating. The only thing I could find, I Googled this and maybe, maybe you're going to give me a, I should have had a V8 moment here. I don't know. The only thing I could find was a, a, an old joke that goes, what's black and white and black and white and black and white and black and white. And the answer was a penguin rolling down a hill, <laughs> which is rather funny. I don't know if that's what this is connected to. I, I don't know if there's another reference that I'm just not picking up on.
1: I don't know. You know, that's a. Uh, a pretty common setup, the uh, you know zebra jokes
0: and uh, right.
1: whatnot. No, I mean that's obviously like referring to the penguins.
0: Yeah. So all right, so we'll go with that. All right. Uh, there's some nice nods in here. I, I you know they, they call it the Dooley Diamond, which is of course named for Kevin Dooley. Uh, it, it doesn't acknowledge in the credits that Giffen did the breakdowns, but looking at this closer, he must have because it's there's a lot of nine panel grids here, and Mike McCone was mm-hmm. still a fairly young artist at the time, uh, so I'm thinking that's got to be Giffen's breakdowns on this thing. I I, I guess I should look. Go back and look, see if there's a lot of butt shots, because Giffen had a fascination for butt shots, so I don't know. Um, so sometimes it's just weird. Little panels just stick out at me that I just absolutely adore. Like, on page six, there is a panel. It's in the bottom half of the page, in the middle, and it's it's stupid. I don't know why these things stick out at me, but it is... It, the, the two members of the Injustice League aren't getting along, and it's major disaster And Clock King. It's a real tight shot of their faces, and they're facing each other, and sort of mouthing off at each other, but because <coughs> Clock King's mask is so ridiculous, it's hilarious seeing them face-to-face, it's you know a profile of major disaster, and then it's a profile of half of a clock face, which is just hilarious to me. I know it shouldn't stick out in my mind, but it does. Well, it, it,
1: there's something about Clock King's costume that in in these books, because of the the body language and the tone of the of the work, Clock King's costume just comes off as completely absurd, like a like a kid in a pair of jammies or something. <laughs>
0: So we should talk about this. All right. So uh, for those of you who at home don't realize, Aaron used to run, back in what we call the medieval days, uh, a blog all about Green Arrow. And as I understand it, as I was informed right before we began recording, that Clock King is actually a former Green Arrow villain. Is that correct? That's correct.
1: Uh, He he started as a Green Arrow villain. Uh, He predates the Clock King of the Batman 60s show. Uh, The story with the Clock King with Green Arrow uh, is... uh, from, I think, the 50s, maybe the early 60s. Uh, I think it's one of the Lee Elias-drawn Green Arrows, uh, pre-beard pre Green Arrow. And uh, Clock King, he's trying to pull some kind of scam because he knows he only has six months to live and and yada, yada, yada. Um, and then he reappears in the 70s in A World's Finest, I think. Uh, the story was uh, written by Paul Kupperberg in the same... Uh, Clock King comes back. So we all know the Clock King and think of Clock King as a Batman villain because of the Clock King on the Batman TV show and then later Batman the Animated Series kind of made their own new distillation of Clock King and that was popular enough that Clock King just sort of found his way back into the comics. But uh the original Clock King is this guy and he was a Green Arrow villain. He's probably the earliest recurring villain Green Arrow has.
0: That's crazy.
1: Now did he dress like this back in
0: the, the back of yeah. the day?
1: Oh yeah, this is lifted straight from from his original appearance. He had this like whole Leotard covered in tiny clock faces and the cape and the mask that looked like a clock face.
0: That is glorious. That is absolutely glorious. I, I never thought we'd have or like a halfway serious conversation about the clock king. That's <laughs> Well, it was time. Oh my gosh! Oh wow, that was a groaner. I hope the people at home heard that. That was really bad. Shame on you, sir. Shame on you. Um, <laughs> a couple other things, just fun little nods. There's a Daily uh, Planet newspaper in here, and the list of writers: M.J. DeMatteis, which is cute, of course. The photography credit is given to P. Porker, which of course is Peter Porker, the Spectacular <laughs> Spider Ham. Everyone loves that. And and you know, back then he was. I guess the Star Comics line was probably over by this point, but now of course course, we're all thinking Spider-Verse, but it's uh, glorious to see him again. Loves me some Peter Parker. Absolutely. Now, for me, since we started this podcast, I have been sort of complaining about the ever-evolving look of Nort. I've been saying that I couldn't find, in any of the issues we covered, my version of Nort. Meaning, like, when I think of Nort, what is the physical appearance? Like, it wasn't exactly Kev McGuire's earliest drawings, it wasn't exactly um, you know the ones in Mr. Miracle, it wasn't exactly the ones in Millennium. You know, all these different appearances we've seen of Nort so far, just none of them have exactly clicked for me. Boom! This is it, folks. This finally, I have found my version of Nort. It is here in this Just Like in Antarctica Annual, done by Mike McCone. Uh, he still has this sort of the human face. He's got the human pointy nose, but he's got the dog ears and the faux hawk. It, this is this is it for me. So I'm so happy to finally find my version of Nort. And I wish they had stuck with this and not gone with like Joe State and the one he does where like the legitimate dog nose. I like the human nose better. So anyway, for me, this this is this is uh, what would you call? Call it Apex Nort, I guess, uh, or something like that.
1: So, so you prefer the uh, sort of uh, like a hairy art carny yes uh, appearance as opposed to the like kind of bushy handlebar mustache slash schnauzer muzzle nort that we see in a lot of the other uh, interpretations
0: yes that is the version that joe Staten really uh, i can't remember if he was the first one who drew it that way but he popularized that version certainly with the mustache and the dog snout and all that no the art carney version is absolutely my version of nort and that's how he's intended to start with i mean he's uh, you know jmd matanus has gone on record saying that nort is a combination of ed norton and woody allen and so that's that, that's that's nort to me
1: I, I, I definitely got the Art Carney. I didn't get the Woody Allen, but now that you say that, I, I can see it in his, like, rambling dialogue about how like he was kind of a loser
0: growing up. Exactly, he just kind of, you're right it's a ramble, it just keeps going and going yeah, exactly. Um, Nort makes a great reference in this uh, one, he mentions the Batman movie, which is fun, very timely (laughs) always fun when you see a reference to that Uh, now I got a question for you, Uh, they make a joke here on page 35 Uh, someone talks about a slow descent into imbecility, and Nort says imbecility? That's just outside of Cleveland, ain't it? Now, that's Ohio, and you're in Ohio, is that, are you from imbecility Ohio? Is that because I would track?
1: Well, uh, one would think. uh, Actually, I I was born in Cincinnati, although despite the rumors that that nasty, nasty chili with nutmeg and allspice in it (laughs) comes from Cincinnati, I would think imbecility Ohio would be a much more likely origin.
0: (laughs) That's a dig against me, folks, for those of you at home who don't realize, because I came to Ohio and some good friends took me out to Skyline Chili, and I absolutely adore it, and uh, Aaron has not let me here. At the end of it, since. So, thanks for that. <laughs> um, other great stuff. Mike McCone did some great stuff here on page 18. There's a giant table that Justice League Antarctica team have, and embedded in the table, and I just noticed this as we were recording. It says JLA because uh, you know Justice League Antarctica. <laughs> looks really nice. I wish I had a table like that. We should get that for the for the embassy here. <laughs> now we've also spent a lot of time in various episodes talking about in Justice League Europe, Wally West uh, being a sleaze ball and hitting on inappropriately on Power Girl and how he takes it too far, and then Bill Mester lobes came along and scaled it back quite a bit. Well, here, Wally hits on fire. Now, fire turns around and puts Wally in his place, basically threatens his life. And Wally immediately drops it, which is great. It sort of shows that Wally's flirting, uh, while technically is unwelcome and probably inappropriate in the workplace, but it shows that his flirting doesn't really have any malice behind it. He's not willing to go too far with it. Whereas, you know, by contrast, Guy Gardner is disgusting with his flirting and never stops. So I think it's sort of, this is a good example of showing you know, he's flirting with a girl, but when she says no, he's done. So it's 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 a little bit more acceptable for behavior, I think. Nice. So I got a question for you. Yes, man has got these manic mood swings, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> high, you know, really high depression, really high cheerfulness, really high anger. It, it, now it's funny. I mean, it, it genuinely the jokes are funny, and it's, it's sort of hilariously using the story. But I'm feel wondering. It, it, I don't feel like it's really age well uh, in this era of awareness of mental illness. Like, what, what's your feelings on this?
1: Well, I think I think that it's it's written in a way that it still like has a decent comedic effect because the idea that he has these ridiculously like huge mood swings ties into the idea that he has sort of multiple personalities to go with his multiple physical manifestations yada yada but no i think you're right i mean it, it plays a little uh, flat these days when uh, s- mental health issues, people have such greater awareness of it. And, uh, of course, we also have that happening on our television every other day. There's a new medication for uh, depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder, uh, et cetera. So, so whereas it would have been just kind of a, ha-ha, he's crazy in the 90s, it it, it doesn't uh, doesn't play quite as funny as it used to.
0: Yeah, I, I I thought that's where I was. I mean, that's where I'm falling. So I, I thought that's where it was as well. I uh, I'm sorry because it is cleverly written. I mean, it's it's used mm-hmm, effectively mm-hmm. and funny in the story, but it's just probably inappropriate. So it,
1: it just it just a little cringe, not not a not a big cringe.
0: Not like what we do with Guy Gardner because Guy Gardner is clearly huh. has mental damage from being in a coma and all the uh, all the things that's happened to him, <laughs> and everyone else just sits around and laughs. <laughs> like at no point um, has everyone ever said, you know, Guy, you might want to seek mental help. He's just, uh,
1: yeah. So i am not, yeah, I'm not laughing at Guy Gardner's uh, malady so much as the fact that that was, uh, that was something that was used for comedy. You know, here's, here's Guy, Guy Gardner suffered brain damage, which gave him a horrible personality. And then every time he gets hit on the head, he changes gears. Oh, that wacky guy with his <laughs> horrible,
0: horrible concussions. Uh, and yet we still laughed. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm we are learning people we are learning we're getting better every year so alright <laughs> so uh, changing gears a little bit here as you, uh, using your phrase there a uh, ridiculous battle between the man-eating penguins uh, is, is actually scary and funny at the same time I, I, th- I love how it, it sort of works it works well it's effective
1: mm-hmm. It, it's 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 almost the tone of like say a Peter Jackson zombie film uh, from from before he became famous for you know motion picture epics. The idea that it's it's terrifying because if they get a hold of you, it really is going to be awful, and it's going to be over. But at the same time, they're just. So ludicrous
0: looking, right. That it it makes you laugh. <laughs> and going along with that, there's a great gag with Major Disaster and Nor frequently uh, saying "mindless violence" is the answer to their situation, which is great. <laughs> Now, I do want to mention about Major Disaster. So he uses his powers to collapse the entire Justice League Antarctica embassy. You know, it, it, it literally crumbles into the ground into like a sinkhole sort of thing. And he, <laughs> he does this to stop the penguins. He, it, it's, very, it's effective and it's very impressive. And it, some of these heroic actions that he's doing here uh, will then lead Batman to invite Major Disaster into the real, and I use air quotes on that, uh, JLA years from now in the Joe Kelly run. This is after the Graham Morrison run. So they sort of reflect back and say, you know, that Major Disaster, while he was a criminal was still doing some heroic things and that eventually gets him onto the team which I always liked that aspect that they turned him around and made him into a real character.
1: Yes, no, that that is great. And it it it's kind of in tune with uh kind of earlier Batman. Batman used to be much more interested in like helping rehabilitate and reform criminals, you know, in like the 70s and 80s, he was he was very civic minded in that way to try to like find criminals mental health or to get them like, you know, a job or that sort of thing. Wow. And and Major Disaster, I think is great for that purpose cuz you know he's like geoforce but
0: not lame <laughs> I like that that's a good analogy <laughs> poor <laughs> prince byron <laughs> Or Prince, Prince Brian? Byron? I can't...
1: I, I don't know. I, I remember his sister's Tara. That's all I can.
0: Tim Price is currently yelling at his iPhone at me because of his uh, Batman and the Outcasters podcast. So I'm so sorry, Tim. All right. <laughs> so uh, overall, I personally think that this annual is still very, very funny. Uh, I think Moving Day and The French Lesson and The Furballs Part 1 are, are probably funnier from the, the idea of the brilliant dialogue and the situational comedy. But this one, for like overall screwball plots of just... Just like what am I reading? This one is probably the most outlandish and is still absolutely hilarious. I love it.
1: I do too. I will say not to be on the the sad woke train again, but you know, here we've discussed Guy Gardner's head injuries and also Multiman's uh, various mood swings. But what about Big Sir? What about the elephant on the team? Hmm. Big Sir is. I don't know how dumb he was before Justice League. And I, I, I use the term dumb for simplicity. He's written as a parody of the Warner Brothers parodies of Lenny from Of Mice and Mitt. Ah. Especially when he's like after Nort the doggy and he wants to find the cute little animals because maybe they can help him find doggy.
0: And- <laughs> uh, I didn't put that together at all. Mm-hmm. So, so
1: yeah, um, he's he's kind of you know he's he's written for comic effect, but but he's mentally disabled.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, back then, they would have uh, simply referred to it as simple or something like yes. that. Um, yes, you know, they they do talk about that at some point, and maybe even it's in here. I can't remember. They do talk about that he had like a, a oh gosh, I'm trying to remember a super advanced pituitary gland which made his body keep growing, but kept his mentally at like age eight. Or something like that. Yeah, that sounds about right.
1: But I mean, you know, that's he's still a very useful member of the team. I'm not. I'm not. You know, casting aspersions on that. I just think it's like you know the way it's written, where he's you know, come on, he's out. uh, He's out in the snow building a doghouse for Nord. Like you know, two seconds after they get there. So
0: (laughs) yeah, he has a very difficult history. Anyway, I mean, there was similar plot lines in the Flash where uh, he was, as I recall, mentally handicapped, but he. He beat Barry within an inch of his life. I mean, he literally mangled Barry Allen's face so bad he had to have reconstructive surgery. So there, there's a long history of Big Sur in, in complicated things. So yeah, okay. You 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 mentioned, you you bring up a good point there too.
1: Uh, I didn't didn't want to bring the room down. It just uh, it was it was kind of bugging me. Like this evening, I was like, well, that's a little weird, but. You know, he is what he is. And and frankly,
0: he's still a much, much better character than Blockbuster. So, yeah, no, that's fair. And we have to judge it with the, the lens of a 30 year old comic, you know, oh, exactly. now there is going to be certain morals and, and uh, you know, mores that we would judge it by by today's standards as well. We can't help but mm-hmm. not live in today. But for the most part, if we judge it from what it was in 1990, uh, it, it, it's a straightforward, hilarious comic.
1: Oh yeah, no, and and it really doesn't. Having having grown up during that time period, it doesn't really bother me. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like I'm out here striking a blow against this this horrible comic or something. It's just kind of funny because, yeah, it's it's uh, it's one of those things that's starting to like become the sort of thing that you're like, hey, wait a minute.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. Again, all fair points. You're absolutely right. Now, I will say, uh, stepping away from that, just the, the, I want to make a comment about the creative team and how incredible <laughs> they are. Because this issue featured eight characters that aren't even part of the normal Justice League team. That's who the focus of the issue is, is the Antarctica team. And yet, <laughs> even though these aren't the characters that we follow every month, it's hilarious and it's wonderful, and, and I don't mind that our main heroes are barely in the story. I mean, that's the power of this creative team, is that they can put together a story about people you barely know, and it still makes for an enjoyable damn comic. Oh, absolutely. It's uh- it's a, a great piece of storytelling.
1: It's definitely annual material. It's it's funny because it fits into the continuity better than a lot of annual like throwaway stories do. Uh, and it's it's just purely silly. But at the same time, it is a great uh, exercise in saying, well, what if we take those
0: guys? that the justice league laugh at and make the whole story about them. Right? And you know and that's another interesting point too is that by showing these completely inept people. I mean these normally normally the justice league we all sit there and point and laugh at them because they're morons, right? <laughs> but in this case the here comes a, a group of people that are even more moronic and it actually makes the justice league more look more capable by comparison. <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, Blue Beetle and Booster Gold look like, uh, you know, Batman and Superman compared to the Injustice League. Right. <laughs>
0: So overall, uh, I think it's fair to say that we both really enjoyed the comic. We do recognize (laughs) the modern-day flaws, potentially. Is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah. So, okay, folks, this is the moment I promised earlier. Uh, We are going to take a sidestep for just a moment because I have got a very special surprise. Uh, I'm about to play some audio (laughs) recorded earlier, and this is me sitting down to talk with, I'm not kidding, one of the artists for this comic. Yes, one of the people that helped draw this comic book is here on this episode to help us discuss Justice League America, Annual Number Four. I'm so excited, folks. So sit tight. Here it comes one of the artists. All right, folks, as promised, I have an incredibly special treat. We have one of the artists, contributing artists, for this issue here on the call with us right now, ladies and gentlemen. This is one of the inkers of Justice League uh, America, or Antarctica, annual number four, or maybe not inker. maybe you want to call him Tracer, whatever you want to call him. So folks, we have someone who worked on page 22. This is Mr. Rob Kelly. Thank you for being here, Mr. Kelly. Thanks for making time to talk with us.
2: (laughs) Thank you for having me back on the show shag
0: (laughs) so yes and as folks you may have heard some of the story before maybe not maybe you don't remember whatever maybe you don't listen to rob like i don't and uh, this is an opportunity where my my long time god 10 year partner in podcasting actually contributed to just League comic this is amazing and we're covering the issue right now me and aaron and rob i want you to tell the story on how you helped ink page 22
2: well okay i've told the story numerous times on the network uh shag you might want to drop in bruce springsteen's glory days behind me here as i talk about
0: this (laughs)
2: uh yeah no i I did not ink a page. I didn't even ink all panel, inked a few lines on a panel. And as you said, it's page 22, the very bottom panel where we see major disaster walking away. And we see this giant sign. There's a close-up, and you can see the letters G N in the snow there. And uh, so that the reason I came to ink that is because back when I was at the, you say it with me, the Joe Kubrick school, School. (laughs) Joe (laughs) Kubrick school of cartoon and graphic art. I was uh, in the first of my three years there. I was staying at this uh, decrepit house, uh, called the Clinton House. It looks like the House of Secrets, except filthier. And um, <laughs> staying with us uh, overnight, Thursday nights to Friday nights, was the legendary anchor, artist, Tex Blaisdell. Uh, really one of the great guys, To one of the most great, like sort of, uh, great raconteurs of comic books, had great stories. Tex was about 6'4", and uh, super skinny, kind of talked like diselected. Uh, we we're exaggerating <laughs> a bit, but we would all kind of do our Tex invitations. And he just had all kinds of amazing stories. He drew Little Orphan Annie. You can actually see him him, uh, on YouTube if you go to Text Plays I think if you just go to YouTube and put in Text Plays Dell you'll pull up the episode of I believe it's What's My Line or To Tell the Truth he was on To Tell the Truth talking about drawing Little Orphan Annie it's kind of amazing to see him on television um, <laughs> but anyway Tex taught on Thursdays and Fridays and because he didn't live in the area he would come teach Thursday and then stay over in the Clinton house on Thursday nights and then teach Fridays and go home so he stayed uh, stayed overnight with us and so we got to hear his story because he would be in the kitchen all the time smoking cigarettes and eating yogurt and you know we would just there. (laughs) what a combination yeah what a combination we would just sit there and listen to him tell stories about you know punching out an editor or like you know uh, quitting on the Jack of Hearts comic book once he found out the costume was too complicated (laughs) Uh, you know one time his daughter told us a story about how she came downstairs for Christmas and watched her father out in the snow pissing with Wally Wood for distance I mean it was just all these amazing amazing stories it was just marvelous so anyway at the time in Texas, career, he was doing a lot of background inking. And for people who don't know exactly what that is, a lot of times if a book is particularly Behind schedule, uh, the editors will assign a different inker to do parts of the book, um, while the other main inker, like, does the figures. So they will like say, "Oh, do backgrounds," and that way the book is sort of being inked simultaneously. And I guess this annual was behind. Text well, it's, it's
0: it's worth mentioning too, because you know Bob Smith is credited as the inker. There's no mention of text whatsoever.
2: Right, right. background inkers are often anonymous because it's they're just not. I mean, they don't want the. I don't think they want the uh, the pages to be filled with t- twenty you know names. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marvel used. To to do that, they would have a term called the crusty Bunkers. And that was a code name for like six different inkers that would work on it. And that's why you would see some panels look like they're inked by Neil Adams. And some panels look like, <laughs> by, you know, Larry Hama or some whatever.
0: Manny Hands, I remember yeah, that.
2: Or right, Manny Hands, right, exactly. Or sometimes they would just say the Marvel bullpen. But anyway, Tex was doing background inking for these pages, and he had them out on the kitchen table. And, you know, for a lot of us, this was the first time any of us had really seen Comic book original art uh, as it was being produced. I mean, I'd seen pages, you know, in conventions and stuff, but this was the first time I'd seen them like in production, and it was, you know, pretty cool. I mean, it was what I wanted to do for a living at the time, and seeing this stuff as it was being uh, worked on was just pretty heady. So anyway, Tex is sitting there with his lab board and his uh, quill pen and his ink, his bottle of ink, and he's working away. And I come in to I don't know get, get food or whatever I was doing, and he's like, and we start talking to him, and uh, he's he says, hey, I'm uh, sorry. look at him like, well, what are you working on, Tex? he says, Oh, Justice League or whatever it was. He might not even know what it was. He probably didn't. Right. <laughs> but I was like, Oh, cool. I know this book because I was buying Justice League at the time. So I was like, that's cool. He's working on something that I would probably gonna read. So then Tex said to me, uh, I gotta go take a piss. Um sorry <laughs> I've said the word piss twice in this three times in this segment check. I know you try to keep this show family friendly. So anyway, he's like, I gotta go, baby said, I gotta go to the bathroom. Uh he's like, Why don't you uh why don't you work on this panel for him? And I'm like, What? <laughs> <laughs> what and so he sits me down and he hands me his crow, crow pen uh which again there's two different ways there's multiple ways but there's basically two ways to ink a comic book page with brush or with a pen i was never good at a brush i just never had the manual dexterity to really get a good line but i could do pen pen work and he hands me the pen and he shows me this panel uh the aforementioned bottom panel on page 22 and he's like he tells me he shows me the pencils what has to be gone over and he says, oh, just, just go over it. And I, you know, I'm like terrified because this is like a comic book page and I don't want to ruin it, you know, but he's just super relaxed. And he pats me on the back with the giant mitts of his, he goes into the bathroom and I stand there. I'm not standing there. I sit there and I start inking this panel, The the lines on the GN sign, the, the, the little scratch marks, like the snow lines and stuff. And. I'm doing it. I'm actually putting the lines down and I'm so afraid that my pen nib is going to like get caught on the fiber of the page and like spill a glob of ink, Oh geez. Uh, which okay. happens, happened all the time. But, but luckily it didn't. And I inked probably, I don't know, a dozen, two dozen lines on the, on this, on that panel. And then he comes out, you know, he comes out of the bathroom. He sits down, he looks at it. He's like, Oh, great job. Thanks. And he sits back down and he sends me on my way and like I was like wow I just touched a comic book page for the first time I added something to a comic book page and that was a pretty amazing experience and later I don't for- forget how long it took but this comic came out and there it was <laughs> you know and it <laughs> still exists to this day and so that's my my story and the, the one other uh, addition uh, PS I will give to the story was uh, back in I think it was around 2003 or four. Tex passed away and this was back when the comic Buyers Guide was still a thing, if you can believe that. Oh, jeez. Okay. And I was saddened to hear that he had passed away because, again, I had such great memories of him. And so I wrote into the Comic Buyers Guide telling this story, and they printed it. They printed Aww. it and they printed it. And I have the I have the issue somewhere in storage here, but they printed it full on, and it was just my way of saying, "Hey, man, this was a great artist, and he should be remembered." And I really appreciate what he did for me because, I mean, I'm not going to say that I felt confident after that. I still I never did because i got to touch comic book pages after that uh and it was always a nerve-wracking experience but nevertheless that was my first one and it will always be there and i will always look at that panel knowing that you know i'm remembering sitting at that filthy kitchen table uh <laughs> with you know watching smelling texas cigarette smoke and looking at his yogurt as i'm working on this panel and it really became like you know, the the, the the magic of it got dispelled a little, which is kind of a good thing because it was like, hey, the, these things aren't done by wizards. They're just done by people like anything else. You know what <laughs> I mean? So, I mean, some people are wizards at it, but I mean, for the most part, it was like, these are just people that do this work and this is what I want to do and this was my first step. So uh, I will always have text to thank for uh, having me, giving me that experience.
0: No, that, that is, First of all, it's an amazing story. It's absolutely incredible. I love the way you tell it. I've heard it a few times now, but I, I absolutely adore it. And the fact that it's connected to a that I love and that we're covering here on the show on the network is just it's perfect and and the fact that the sort the sign you uh, did was Nort's doghouse sign which seems oh is that of, what it
3: is yeah okay, it's, right, it's sort of yeah.
0: fitting for who you are and everything <laughs> <Yeah>. but uh, <laughs> this is this has been awesome thank you so much for sharing this with the folks at home Rob so folks if you uh, you know as with all your other feedback for the issue uh, feel free to mention you know the fact that we have the, an artist from this issue and uh, share your thoughts on the line work on the GN sign please
2: I really deserve my name on the cover that so well
0: I I I tell you you, you should be before giving him Demetrios I would
2: think <laughs> True
0: enough I'll fix it for you later with a marker <laughs> All right, folks, we are back, and wow, how exciting was that? Having one of the inkers of this comic here to discuss it with us. Oh, so exciting.
1: I just can't believe how lucky we were to get a hold
0: of one of these guys. <laughs> it's not like I don't podcast with him every week or anything. <laughs> all right, well, for, let's forget about Rob now, because I try to on a regular basis. But now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. We are going to do the... Wahaha Award. This is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Aaron will pick a moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted Bwahaha ha Award. Aaron, as I've said, you're the guest, which again is unfortunate for everyone listening. But what is your recommendation for the Bwahaha Award?
1: Well, despite. The fact that uh, I'm obviously bringing the street cred of your program down by my <laughs> mere participation. I knew I should have got Amy for the show. I think I think the thing that, that struck me the funniest, oddly enough, since this is the Ha Award segment, is uh, the part on page 19... Where Ralph and Sue Dibney are reviewing the Justice League Antarctica lineup, and Ralph is just in tears, rolling with laughter. And Metamorpho, Rex Mason himself, comes into the room and says, what are you blah ha, haing about now, Dibney? <laughs> and uh, they continue to talk. Dibney shows him what he's blah ha, haing about. And then they both blah ha ha again. And uh, the embassy had just keeps going forward, like those stormtroopers walking away from Kylo Ren. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: That is a funny moment, and it's really expertly done. I mean, Sue is smiling from ear to ear, laughing. Elongated Man is literally crying. He's laughing so hard. Uh, Metamorpho gets in on the gag. That's a good suggestion. I like it quite a bit. It's not the same one I have, uh, but it it is very good. And I had a hard time, because there's a whole bunch of really clever, really clever dialogue in this thing. They're just sharp, sharp jokes, which crack me up. But ultimately, I went for a little bit more of a a big kapow moment. Like, I felt like it was kind of leading to all this. I went all the way to the end on page 55. And the, what's happened is everything's over. They're all back in uh, the Justice League America headquarters. And the fate of Justice League Antarctica is hanging in the balance. And you don't know what's going to happen. And then you get, wham, this full-page memo from Maxwell Lord. And, and, <laughs> and literally, it just says, you know, it's a memo to everyone regarding the Justice League Antarctica. And all Max wrote was, never mind. Which just cracked me up. I just felt like that was the button on the whole joke that Max realizes that these guys are a complete disaster. And forget it. We're not going to do this thing. So that was my pick. Uh, Now we have to decide amongst ourselves which one's getting the award. Do you have a feeling one way or another, sir?
1: I don't. I don't. Although I have to ask, are you sure that it was a complete disaster and not simply a major disaster?
0: Oh, my gosh. Oh. Well played. I'm here all week. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but well played. Well played. Ugh. All right, so I'm torn. Again, you get a genuine ha in your comment, uh, which is great. Actually, you get several has in your com- in your pick. And in mine, I feel like, you know, it's sort of the, it's it, it all been building to that. I don't know. Um, all right, tell you what. I have been holding my ground a whole lot lately on the show and demanding that I'm right, because quite frankly, I usually am. But in this case, you've got one, two, three, four Bwahaha's ha, on this page. So I think I'm going to go ahead and give it to you, Aaron. So congratulations to Ralph, Sue, and Metamorpho. You have won the coveted Bwahaha Award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. So
1: As it should be. As, <laughs> as it should be.
0: <laughs> Now, Aaron, I need to ask a favor. Uh, as you can see, our Antarctica embassy, and by the way, Antarctica is a harder word to say than you would think, folks. Anyway, uh, the embassy is in complete ruins. And since you're from Ohio and you're kind of used to unruly reasonable amounts of cold. Would you mind mm. helping out and organizing the embassy cleanup? Well, I
1: mean, I guess I still have some rock salt and a shovel.
0: <laughs> you might want to watch out for any stray penguins, by the way. Just something to keep in mind. Well,
1: Even though my snow shovel is
0: made mostly of plastic, it does have a nice
1: sharp metal edge, so I think I got it.
0: <laughs> I'm scared to know how you found that out. Anyway, uh, and don't worry, Aaron. We will bring you back at the end of the show, and after this podcast mm-hmm. promo break, I'm going to head over to the Paris Embassy for Justice League Europe annual number one
1: all right i will uh, try to uh, at least dig a bigger hole
0: <laughs> faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive
4: able to leap tall buildings at a single bound look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane
2: richard
1: fryer Yes, it's Superman
2: 3 Movie Minute. On Superman 3 Movie Minute, we'll be examining Richard Lester's 1983 film five minutes at a time. This time around, we don't just have Superman.
1: We have evil Superman, Lana Lang, a scary robot lady, and yes,
2: Richard Pryor. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network.
4: Oh, you don't know about me and him? Me and Superman?
0: Howdy, Nicholas Prom here. I want to tell you all about my new show, Captain Freakout's Psychedelic Radio. It's a weekly block of mind-altering music from the 60s, 70s, and beyond. Tune in, turn on, and freak out wherever groovy podcasts are consumed. That's Captain Freakout's Psychedelic Radio. Available on all podcasting platforms. And now, our coverage of Justice League Europe Annual Number One. for break and I'm here with our second co-host for this episode. This guest is a longtime friend of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. He's appeared on several shows professing his obsession for the Super Friends and Digest Size Comics. Now, in preparing for this episode, I think I've learned a little more about this guest that I'm reasonably comfortable with, like his devotion to Kylie Minogue and Disney movies and the comic character Deadman and his daily ritual of playing Tetris on his Game Boy which actually now that I think about it, it might come in handy this episode because we have to wedge in discussions of over 20 different superheroes. Folks, please help me. Welcome to the show. Mr. Sean Myers. Welcome to the Paris embassy, Sean. Thanks for being here, man. How you doing? I'm well, Shag. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited to have you on the show. Uh, you've done a whole bunch of episodes with this other guy named Rob Kelly, who I don't particularly like and have court orders against, but it is, it's finally time for you and I to sit down and have a chat. And I've been looking forward to this.
5: I'm, I'm sorry. I, I know you said something. Um, I'm looking around, wow, the Paris Embassy is so, I'm so much more used to the Australian Embassy than this one, wow.
0: <laughs> the Australian Embassy, really? Well, yeah,
5: well, because, you know, I'm always hanging out with Tasmanian Devil, you know, hello, and we <laughs> love listening to Kylie Minogue, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right, you, uh, as I understand, you are to Kylie Minogue as Rob is to Bob Dylan, is that correct? Yes, my, my Kylie cast will be coming on the Fire and Podcast Network very soon. Wow. See, for me, besides Kylie being, um, uh, shall we say, uh, e- easy on the eyes, uh, I also know her for Doctor Who because she was in a, a very cool episode of Doctor Who where she played a, a very interesting character.
5: The only episode of Doctor Who that I've
0: ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. At least we'll always have Doctor Who. We'll always have Kylie. There we go. No matter yes, what happens yes. today, Sean, we will always have Kylie.
5: <laughs> exactly right.
0: <laughs> so obviously we know that you uh, you like Transmedian Devil. You love Hugh. You love Australia. You love Kylie. Where do you fit in, though, with the JLI as a whole? Where where did you discover the book? And you know, do you have a passion for it? Is it just kind of like, eh, it's okay? Where, where does JLI fit in your life? So I
5: do remember seeing, like I was at like a Turkey Hill, like a convenience store, and they had comics been when I was a little kid. And I do remember picking up this book and it, it was Justice League and I actually forget the issue number, but it's the crossover with the Justice Society and the Legion. Oh, okay. I remember flipping through this book and obviously like I knew Superman and Batman, you know, th- those characters, but there were like a ton of all of these other characters. And I'm like, wow. And especially as a kid, I loved teen books. I wasn't Richie Rich. I couldn't afford every <laughs> single comic line in the DC universe. So I had to pick and choose. So I always went with a team book.
0: Makes sense. You get the most amount of characters.
5: Exactly right. Yeah. So Justice League was always on my radar. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to pay attention to this. And my very first issue of Justice League that I bought and read from cover to cover, not sure if you're familiar with the Shag, but it was issue number 180 of the Justice League. Gosh, I,
0: uh, I don't know if I've ever read that one. Hmm.
5: And I was such a dumb little kid I'm sure that in the book they say Firestorm, this is your first meeting Your first adventure with them But I don't remember that But I do remember the
0: satin Satan I was just going to say I I didn't buy it for Firestorm I bought it for the satin Satan Are you kidding? (laughs) So, well, the the big announcement of Firestorm Joining the book was in the issue before In 179 Mm -hmm. So that's why you may not have saw it as much in 180 But yeah, oh man What a disco era loving issue to pick up on, man
5: <laughs> and and I, I have gone back and purchased 179, you know, retroactively. And I, I didn't get every issue from that point, but I have since gone back. um But pretty much from that, I definitely got a lot of those books. And definitely by 190, from like 190 up through the end of the Justice League, uh the first incarnation, I had every issue, read it, loved it, followed them then when they were Justice League Detroit. And I actually loved like that because i could see the template of the new teen titans which sure. i loved sure like you take a you take a super group you take some old members some new members mix them together see what happens so then when justice league was revived again <laughs> with, <laughs> with uh john jones and at the time shazam was in it so like i loved that and then that just morphed into you know the the, the quote-unquote humor title that it became and i i was on board with that i loved it awesome. Awesome. Europe and international. And and ever since then, I've I've always dipped my toe into Justice League. Now, I, I, I think the last time I bought every issue was the end of Justice League, you know, international and, and all of that. Ever since then, I've never gotten every issue, but I definitely read story arcs and get a trade or two.
0: See, I, I'm, I'm kind of similar. I am willing to try pretty much every incarnation of the league. I started around 84, mm-hmm. 85. I started with the Justice League Detroit as well. That was my first, you know, at least who was the, the contemporary? pre-team and then i i stuck with it into the new 52 so what is that into like 2000 probably 15 is probably when i finally walked away somewhere around there and even then i'll still dip my toe in i'll see it, you know because they launch a new justice league book every 15 minutes and so i'll be like okay i'll try the first three issues of Justice league dark i'll try the first three issues of a book called justice league it's probably volume 15 at this point i don't know and uh and i tried i've tried almost all of them and you know not always to my liking the new stuff but hey you you know what? There's a market for it, so I, I want the team to keep going, even if it's not for me.
5: And also, you, even now, it's just so easy to keep up with the team without even reading the book. Like all you have to do is like read like the captions, like what what happened each issue, like, like right. Wikipedia, and you can still follow what's going on in the book.
0: I just look on Facebook and see what my friends are complaining about. That's how I keep up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sean was invited specifically for this issue because Sean, at least my my take on it, is a massive fan of the Global Guardians.
5: Is that mm-hmm. fair? To say? Mm, That is more than fair to say. I love the entire concept of the Global Guardians. Love
0: it. And Sean has a deep, deep love for Super Friends, which is, of course, where the Global Guardians first appeared. So when it came to this issue, which is Justice League Europe, annual number one, featuring the return of the Global Guardians, I knew exactly who I wanted to have on the episode. So let's dig into this and uh, start our discussion. So as we said, Justice League Europe, annual number one, published by DC Comics, cover date, well, it just simply says 1990. It was on the shelves August 17th, 1990. So we're we're actually skipping ahead a little bit in our justice league europe coverage like this actually falls after issue 14 we haven't covered issue 14 yet but we're we're only about a month off anyway i just wanted to cover both annuals in the same episode so cover price is two dollars eight shiny quarters oh my gosh but you get 53 pages out of it which ain't bad now the cover's by linda medley and jose marzan jr so uh would you please describe the cover to the folks at home
5: I would call this cover a cavalcade of combat. (laughs) Because you have Flash choking out jack-o'-lantern. You have Owl Woman and Crimson Fox hair-pulling, of course, because they're women. I
0: didn't even Uh... notice that till now. Oh my gosh.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Little Mermaid is about to clobber Captain Adam with a lamp and wrapped around Captain Adam's neck is Godiva's hair. Metamorpho is tapping Thunderlord on the head. And Power Girl is... Mm. knocking out Wild Huntsman Or the Olympian,
0: I'm sorry, the Olympian. There's also, there's a couple other things going on here You've also got elongated man's looking at the camera and there's a shadow falling across everyone. And I'll tell you, the first couple times I saw this cover, I didn't even notice the shadow. Like, do you see, you see where I'm talking about? You can see like just the outline of some hands almost. And uh, I don't know, I don't feel like the shadow really came across well enough. Is it just me?
5: Um, I'm not being prepared to say it's just you, but I noticed it right away. Um, Especially if you look at Power Girl's face,
0: you kind of really see the finger That's fair. That's fair. So uh, I'm just (laughs) clueless, folks. Okay. I think I was distracted by my absolute favorite thing on the cover, uh, which is, by the way, darn close to my favorite thing in the whole issue, which is Little Mermaid with the lamp about to smash Captain Adam. And she's got her tongue sticking out this corner of her (laughs) mouth, which is like the cutest, funniest thing in the world. I love this so much.
5: Yeah, I I think it's a great cover. The the, the only thing I don't like about the the cover is kind of like diagonally, the top third is just like this orange, I guess, dust cloud from from I guess like the ruckus but you easily could have put you know more characters back in there maybe like with a surprint or something Mm. along that
0: line yeah that would have worked you know it's it's so hard doing these covers I this is I'm jumping way ahead but I've actually seen the original artwork of the Justice League quarterly first issue and Mm. when you have this giant Justice League Europe logo it, it's very hard for the artist to yeah. figure out how far above, you know, like, where do you stop drawing stuff? Because it's just going to get covered with the logo. And mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. I, I bring that up, because when we get to the Justice League Quarterly cover, they actually did something funny underneath where the logo, the, the artist knew exactly what was going to go into the logo and did something funny. So it's, it's difficult and challenging for the artist to figure that. So that may be why she just left all this kind of blank space, is because she's like, well, the logo is going to take up most of this. I don't know. Yeah. There's also this cover treatment uh, across the top. There's this red strip, and it's got a little black, like, confetti in it. Uh, that was the thing they were doing that year for covers uh, in fact when we talked about justice league america just a minute ago that was that was yellow across the top i don't know that it's terribly effective you know like it's kind of like they used to run the go-go checks across the top of the dc books right
5: <laughs> i was just gonna say it's not as good as the go-go check right yeah it's a little disappointing
0: all right so i think the real question on everyone's mind at home is why is thunderlord blue <laughs> It does have to be a coloring mistake, right? I think they thought both of them were metamorpho or something. I don't know. (laughs) I I was hoping as the Global Guardian expert, you could tell me, oh, no, when Thunderlord uses his powers, his skin changes colors or something. But I guess that's not the case, huh?
5: I never call myself an expert about anything. I am an aficionado of several things. The reason I never say I'm an expert is because that way I can't be wrong. (laughs) Okay, aficionado, so, what do you got for me? I, I am not familiar with Thunderlord being blue.
0: Okay, well, I guess it's a it's a case of the blue Mister Clean's right there. So, <laughs> as as two bald guys doing a podcast about it, we can appreciate that, right? Amen, brother. <laughs> and I do love I do love the usage of his hair. I think that's great because she's not even a, she's not even there. You just see her mm-hmm. hair and the cat. They managed to squeeze the cat in the background, which clearly the cat is like the unsung hero of Justice League Europe at this point. People just I love dig- him. I guess <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now, getting into the issue Plot and Breakdowns by Keith Giffen, script by JMD Mateus, penciler Linda Medley, inker Jose Marzan Jr., letterer Albert De Guzma, colorist Gene D'Angelo, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, and editor Andy Helfer. The issue itself is called Be All ya Blues. All right, Sean, could you uh, recap the first half of the issue for us? Absolutely. Our story opens with a meeting of the international
5: group of superheroes known as the Global Guardians. They are discussing the fact that three of their members, Tuatara, Wild Huntsman, and Rising Sun, attacked the League, but now the League is taking care of them and trying to discover what really caused them to act that way. Unfortunately, Little Mermaid shouts out that none of this feels right and that the man in front of them is not Dr. Mist. The room goes dark, and it's revealed that she is right. The Global Guardians are being controlled by Queen Bee of Bialya. <gasps> we, we then go to her palace where she is giving her former fun toy major force, the boot. <laughs> She then meets with Owl Woman and Jack-O-Lantern to discuss what to do about Little Mermaid after making it abundantly clear to Jack-O-Lantern that she doesn't give two stings about his opinion. She meets with the doctor in charge of the reprogramming of Little Mermaid and the rest of the Global Guardians. Long story short, Queen Bee is in control of this hive. Another meeting of the Global Guardians commences, and this time all goes according to Queen Bee's plan. Meanwhile, at the JLI Embassy in Paris, Sue notifies Captain Owl that the Global Guardians want their three members returned to them. But the communique has a Bialian postmark. And this is email, so it wasn't really a postmark, but she could figure it out. <laughs> then all three of the Global Guardians snap out of their trances and hightail it to the Dome. And you can't see it, but I'm air-quoting the dome, because it's not really the dome, it's a fake dome that Queen B made.
0: Well, it's a new dome.
5: In, in Paris, the Crimson Fox notices a huge crowd outside of the embassy. The crowd assembled there is bigger than the crowds outside of TRL when NSYNC were in their prime. Oh because the French love the Global Guardians. <laughs> oh, that was, quite a, that was
0: quite a callback there, sir. <laughs> and
5: the french love the global guardians and now i love the french (laughs) the captain and dr mist are discussing the queen bee's involvement with the global guardians while jack-o'-lantern is his charming self-to-power girl as in he's not because he's a super jerk meanwhile queen bee gives her word to a submarine which launches something not quite as great as a transformer but nowhere near as bad as a GoBot. that's fair then what happens
0: so uh, this large not transformer not gobot crashes through the embassy ceiling and both the justice of europe and the guardians attempt to stop it now after some crazy hijinks both teams finally start working together and blast the robot through the embassy wall out into the grounds outside Unfortunately, this cheering crowd that Sean loves, these fans of the Global Guardians are at the embassy gate and are cheering for the battle with the robot. Well, instead, they should be running for their lives. Metamorpho directs Little Mermaid to get the crowd of innocents clear of the battle. However, Little Mermaid has no luck and the people just ask for her autograph. Now, Crimson Fox manages to damage the robot, and uh, she sends it toppling. Unfortunately, it's toppling towards the crowd of innocent bystanders. Thankfully, Godiva and Olympian keep the robot from crushing the Parisian populace. Then, executing a plan conceived by the Olympian, Captain Adam and Jack O'Lantern blast the ground beneath the robot, sending it falling into the massive underground Parisian sewer system. Both teams leap into the sewers, off to save the day. Captain Adam destroys the robot, causing a massive explosion which blows through the grounds of the JLE embassy and nearly injuring the crowd at the gate. The next day in Bialia, the Global Guardians resume operations in the newly constructed dome headquarters, not a fake dome, uh, with their members returned to them, Rising Sun, Wild Huntsman and Tuatara. Throughout the issue, we've been watching the Queen Bia Bialia uh, manipulate the situation between the Global Guardians and the Justice League Europe. She's also spent a fair amount of time seducing and kind of threatening to kill her manservant, which is a little (laughs) strange. And with the Guardians back in Bialya and now media darlings, the Queen Bee has her own world-renowned superhero team under her control. The incident with the robot and the Global Guardians has also elevated the Justice League Europe's popularity with the French people. Captain Adam is angry at being used by the Queen Bee, but Wally explains that all is well and they will eventually capture the Queen Bee, making the captain feel a little bit better about the situation. And the issue ends with several Justice League members throwing Power Girl's smelly cat out of their bedrooms. And they all lived ridiculously ever after. Oof. All right, man. So this thing's massive. I mean, 53 pages. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of it, buddy?
5: and i first read this when it came out a few days after my birthday in 1990 i was so disappointed i was crestfallen i was heartbroken i did not want my beloved global guardians to be mind controlled by uh, a that okay. was very upsetting to me kind of, kind of along the lines of i, th- I think uh, rob had a great feeling about these kind of things when he was worried about the aquaman movie because if you know back in the day if the aquaman movie would have bombed. That would have been Aquaman's one chance for, you know, mass popularity. Right. That's the way I kind of felt this. I thought, oh my god, the Global Guardians are going to be in Justice in Europe, and that's such a hot title. I bet they're going to be spun off into their own book. This is
0: fantastic. <laughs>
5: well, that didn't happen for little Shawnee. <laughs> I wanted it, but it didn't happen. Now, and, you know, I was so worried because, like, I wanted them to be popular. I wanted them to be a big deal. Now I'm much better about these kind of things because with DC Comics, for better or worse, if you don't like a hero, it doesn't matter because three years from now, he's going to be a different hero. She's going to take over. They're going to be something different. They're going to reboot it. So, you know, there could be a Global Guardians book two weeks from now, and I would be thrilled as long as they're heroic.
0: All true. All true. Although I do think of the Global Guardians as the not ready for primetime players. So I, I don't know if you're going to get a book in two weeks, but, you know, it could happen. I love it.
5: It it is such an untapped potential. It's all these different cultures and people coming together. Like, I just can't imagine why this isn't a book. Like, these characters are so interesting. Like, even from a character design standpoint, they are so interesting. Like, they look great. And especially in this day and age, this is how you bring multiculturalism into, into a book. It's, it's baked right in.
0: No, I mean, you're right. That The concept is brilliant. And the concept is so perfect for this era. I mean, if you look at the history of comic teams in the 1980s, it was all about a well-balanced, diverse team. You know, X-Men is the uh, the perfect example, the Uncanny yeah. X-Men. You know, the Russian, the African, the German, yeah. the Canadian, the American, all and all kinds of different faiths and everything, all these different, you know, mixtures of things. And that's this, exactly what this team is. It just seems to me... Uh, missing a bit of a spark to, to capture imagination. Like, I, unfortunately, I, I, well, let me back up. I enjoyed the issue, but the characters never really grabbed my imagination. But uh, I can think of an example where they did. I, I There was a comic called, uh, oddly enough, Justice League International uh, in the New 52, which had nothing really to do with this stuff. But uh, on the team, Godiva was on the team. And that's probably mm. the only time I've ever really uh, glommed to that character. I mean, I was really invested in her character in that story, Whereas other times, uh, I guess maybe they just haven't had enough space to tell their story. At least in my opinion.
5: Well, also what I'm about to say. So I don't. I don't want to seem like I'm contradicting myself because as much as I hated that the global guardians were being mind controlled, I do think that Queen Bee is like a fantastic villainess. Oh yeah, like she she is like. I know this was in 1990, but she is like that 80s like Dynasty villainess. You know, oh yeah, so good. way So wicked good and evil. Oh, like oh, she's fantastic. Like, like I hate her so much. She's fantastic. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a perfect way to describe her. You know, like you said, dynasty sort of level. And it's sort really of like the female JR. You'd love to hate her. Um, yeah. And it doesn't hurt that she's absolutely stunning and gorgeous. And, uh, you know, page 14, they've got her laying out and she's she's disappointed she doesn't get to kill one of her henchmen because they did their job properly. And yet she's gorgeous. And you, you just love the moment because she just looks like she's having fun.
5: In my notes, I literally have pay- Page 14, (laughs) PG-13. That's fair. That's very fair. (laughs) And and this is me noticing that. <laughs> oh.
0: Well, I certainly took notice of it. Let's just put it that.
5: <laughs> and again, so any kind of negative thing I say about the Global Guardians, you have to take with a grain of salt because I love the Global Guardians. But it does always bother me, no matter what media presentation it is books, movies, uh, comics, whatever it always bothers me when. There's a group of superheroes, and they're sitting at a table, and the table and chairs perfectly match with how many members there are of that team. Okay. How does that work out? So so on pages two and three, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, eight members of the Global Guardians. They're all seated at the table. Chairs are up against each other. Later on in the issue, three more members join them. All three members are sitting at the table, chairs against each other. That table <laughs> – is is Queen Bee that rich that she just gets a new table for all three new
0: members? Well, if she can pay all these scientists to brainwash these people, I got to assume she can afford a new table.
5: <laughs> I guess – maybe IKEA has a great branch in Bialya. <laughs> I did not even notice the table stuff until you mentioned it. That's hysterical. <laughs> when the, the other thing at the table on page two and three, I noticed the Bushmaster smoking.
0: I never noticed that till literally, I noticed it the same second you were saying it. Oh, my gosh. You can tell this is an old book. Well, that's how you know he's the bad boy. Because Wolverine – you know, Wolverine used to smoke, and that was just because he was the bad boy. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so I got to ask, since we're talking about Bushmaster, who does he look like? It's driving me crazy. Like, I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking here, like, he looks like another character to me, and I can't place it. Like, maybe Ravager, who's, depending on the son or daughter of of Deathstroke.
5: Yeah, yeah. Or maybe Agent Liberty. I'm, I'm definitely getting more
0: Ravager. Okay, it's driving me nuts. It's driving me crazy. I, I folks, you chime in. Maybe it is Ravager, and maybe that you know. But I feel like there's someone else. Like, the, like, looks exactly. I don't know. I don't know. It's just it's bugging the mess out of me. I'll follow it in the comments. There we go. Perfect.
5: <laughs> With Little Mermaid, I do think she looks great, but I miss the glasses. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I read the DC Comics Presents issue today and I saw the glasses and I'm like, is that because she's a teenager? Is that what that's supposed to be about?
5: I guess she got contacts, but there are some people who just look better with glasses
0: and and she's one of them. They, um, they weren't terribly flattering with how, like if you look on page five, like at the top, they made her look pretty rough. Like, you know, Linda Medley made a lot of people in this book look very, very attractive. She did not go to that effort for Little Mermaid. Well,
5: I'm, I'm chalking that down to like, uh, Yeah. First of all, she looks horrible there. Absolutely. Um, I kind of think that is like the mental stress of, you know, this isn't the right kind of thing because she does look better later on. Like this is sounding horrible and please don't take this out of context. She looks better when she's being mentally controlled.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) Uh, That's going to be the soundbite going on on every episode. Please
5: Please no. But but it's funny because in in that panel, uh, so page thirteen is the panel that I'm talking about, where her her face is much more symmetrical and yeah, you're right to the eye and that kind of thing. However, that panel, I kept wondering, why is he holding a lollipop? <laughs> like, why, why is he holding a lollipop and then i realized it's not it's just like the circular item on his costume
0: yeah it's the clasp of, that holds his cape in place but i see what yeah. you say it does look like he's holding a lollipop oh my gosh
5: and, and and the problem is i thought well that can't be right so i flipped back to like the first meeting and unfortunately the panel is exactly the same so that really threw me off <laughs> <laughs> and
0: that's on page four i'm like it's the same thing and then i flipped and Okay. Wow, I did not notice that. You're right. They re- Okay, so this makes a lot of sense, though, because what's happening in the story here is they they try to convince – this is for the people at home. I know you read it, Sean. Uh, they try to convince Little Mermaid and the team to go along with what they want, and they're replaying the scene. So they do it in the beginning. It all goes wrong, and they're replaying the scene again later. I didn't realize Linda Medley redrew all these panels. Or actually, it doesn't even look like she redrew the panels. In some cases, it looked like she used the same – you know, statted the same artwork. Interesting. Yeah,
5: other than Little Mermaid, which I right. think works so well. And the dialogue. Logs the same. Yeah, it,
0: it's really super effective. That is really clever. I didn't even pick up on that. Wow. Okay. Hmm. All right, so my Global Guardian expert, did they change anybody's costumes from like, because uh, I'm looking at the Little Mermaid's costume, and I can't remember, it's kind of crazy looking. I can't remember if they changed it or not. I mean, she seems to be showing a lot of cleavage there. I don't remember that when she was a teenager. Uh,
5: I think I think that's probably updated a little bit. Um, And I. it's funny, because I thought, oh, should I read all of the previous Global Guardians? Oh, my gosh. And- and I was, I was even surprised because doing my research for this, I forgot, I didn't know really that the Global Guardians appeared before Justice League International post-crisis. So I so I looked on Mike's Amazing World of Comics, which is fantastic. Oh yeah. Um but they were in Infinity Inc. Correct for four issues. Now I don't have those issues yet because um eBay is not like a Bugs Bunny cartoon where you fill it out and you wait by the mailbox and it shows up. <laughs>
0: I, I read them on the DC Unlimited app uh, okay. a while back. It's been a while since I've read them. I, I read them when we started off the Justice League Europe coverage because of the, the Global Guardians appearances. They're, um, A lot of it's fire and ice uh, in those issues, and there's some okay. of the other characters. It's not the, the most significant appearances. I think like the DC Comics Presents issue is definitely a, a more Global Guardians-focused story, if, you, if, that, okay. if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I love that one. I love that book. Uh, I, like I said, I read it today. Um, I'm glad somebody loves it. But anyway... Uh, <laughs> so I, I should have mentioned uh about the characters I, I i didn't get into i mentioned you know uh godiva i, I kind of clicked with her in that other book i forgot jack-o'-lantern i love now it's not this version but i love jack-o'-lantern and primal force i adore primal force i've talked about it on previous episodes of this show primal force just hit all the right buttons for me and i love the version of jack-o'-lantern they had okay <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Either Sean didn't read it or he doesn't agree, which is fine. You're allowed to have your own opinions, even if they're wrong.
5: I'll be honest. I didn't read it, but character designs and, like, comics at that time were just so tough to read. Some of them were just so tough to read through because it's all about, like, toy marketing and tie-ins and people with people acting badass all the time. and.
0: (laughs) Uh, that was definitely the era, but I think Primal Force was a little bit of the exception because they knew they were not getting toys of jack-o'-lantern ever. So, uh, (laughs) I I think Steven, Steven Siegel, I guess is how you say it, uh, really wrote an interesting comic. So that's just my two cents on that. But we should talk about okay. this comic instead.
5: We should talk about it. yes. And um, one other thing I want to point out is, I, so we're skipping way, way ahead, and I'm super narrowing in on one panel. On page 21, when uh, Crimson Fox makes her way into the Parisian embassy, mm-hmm. and she sees uh, Catherine there, if you look at Catherine's notepad, she's doodling, and under her thumb, it looks like it says, Madame Adam. <gasps> Oh, my God. It absolutely does.
0: She's and even a got a little
5: heart. Yes. A little heart
0: with an arrow through. Wow. Dude, I didn't even pick up on that. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, because well, Catherine and Captain Adam always had a will they, won't they kind of thing yeah. going on there. So that is a great catch. Oh, Linda Medley must have had a blast. Or or the inker, Jose Marzano, must have had a blast throwing that in there. That's a great little Easter egg. Wow. Yeah,
5: I, I love that. I thought that was great.
0: Hope she didn't leave the clipboard laying around and Captain Adam <laughs> seeing it. Oh, she did it on purpose. Come on! (laughs) I
5: I know that's the great way to make get a man.
0: Uh, that's how i met my wife <laughs> see it works. it works totally totally
5: <laughs> so on on the next page though 22 i do think it's a great shot of the global guardians you know i like it because they're just hanging out eating drinking that kind of thing but Thunderlord is not served well by this book because on the cover his face is blue And on page 22, he has a line running through his head. I know. That that meets up with the furniture in the background.
0: (laughs) Some, whoever did the backgrounds on uh, on inking on this one made a little mistake there. (laughs) (laughs) This this is a great page. You're right. The page is fantastic. Linda Medley did a great job with the layout of it because she had to fit all these characters in here. You know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, with eight characters sitting around, nine, really, and not make it look crowded. And it works. And it's also it's a bit of a kapow moment because you're you're on the page before you know it's just like who's there who's there who's there and you flip the page and you get the full splash of everyone it's like oh it's the Global Guardians and it just it works really really well I love it and um, there's a funny bit I I didn't notice this until uh, studying it really for this podcast in the bottom left hand corner the the smelly cat is actually playing with the tassels on Owl Woman's costume that is so cute lots of little Easter eggs in this thing they really had a great time doing this well the other
5: cool thing about the panel is it's kind of like shot I mean I know it's not used a lens but it's drawn at an angle mm-hmm. and that has that has to be tough to keep everyone's proportions in line at an angle especially because the tallest character is in the back yeah, but you you still can see that he is so much taller.
0: That's a good point. I didn't think about that. I was too focused on him holding to plate of donuts.
5: <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a lot of them.
0: <laughs> I love Olympian who's got he's got the the the, the tea the tea service going on there. But it, because he's so huge, it's so tiny in his hands. It looks like you know a little tiny uh, itty bitty cup. It's hilarious.
5: <laughs> it it looks like a demi toss, but it's it's a real it's a regular size. Yeah,
0: this is a great page. I'm really glad you pointed yeah. this out. It's a really great page. Uh,
5: the other thing I wanted to point out is uh, way. Ahead, um, on page thirty-seven, and this this is, this is panel by panel right here. So Catherine and Sue are talking about Ralph and the third panel on the page on page 37 of sue i swear that looks like carmine infantino
0: hmm. Dur-
3: okay. during his
5: during his latter stage like when he returned to flash around like
0: issue 300 now, i see it, i see it in the mouth i can i'll give you the mouth
5: oh i think the mouth and the eye I I, okay. actually, I I honestly
0: think everything
5: now i i do think carmine infantino i do think his art is fantastic if you're looking at like his early flash work like sure. in, the, in the 60s by the 80s i wasn't that much of a fan of it and especially the panel of sue makes me think of spider woman because he worked on spider woman for so long. that's really what made me think of carmen infantino but oh. that looks like jessica drew interesting i can see that okay and then, kind of kind of staying on that marvel slant the next page page 38 when little mermaid is in front of the parisian crowd and you can see the look of adoration and love on that parisian crowd it reminds me of the JLA Avengers crossover. Okay, and I'm sure. not sure. I'm actually not sure which characters say this, but the Marvel heroes are amazed that the DC universe like looks up to their heroes and loves them. Yeah, and that has like that is always stuck in my head about like a difference between those two the two worlds, the two companies.
0: That's a good example. No, you're right because here I mean, there's I mean, you see you literally see hearts coming off of this one guy and people asking for autographs. Then one person very creepily says, uh, they just love to nibble on those little yeah. pointed ears of hers. But yeah, yeah. They, Adoration is right. And yeah, the, in that crossover, there was a big point of that where, he may have been Flash and Quicksilver, I can't remember, but someone was having that conversation, yes, about how in the DC universe, they're beloved. In the Marvel universe, they're hated. I,
5: yeah, and actually, it would make sense if Flash is having that discussion just because of like the Flash Museum.
0: Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
5: The other thing too, like because they're so beloved by the French, it makes me think they have had adventures around the world that these people have seen and that's why they're so loved that's why i wanted my book i wanted to see those adventures
0: <laughs> <laughs> well the original dome was in paris keep in mind oh, yeah, so yeah. so that's part of the reason the Par- the parisians love the global guardians so much
5: the other thing i want you to talk about page 40 because i didn't notice this so, like panel two until you pointed this out to
0: me. <laughs> sure thing. So Owl Woman uh, is is decided to go attack the robot because they've seen that Crimson Fox has made progress attacking the robot with her claws. So she says, uh, you want to see claws, my friend? Check this out. So Owl Woman leaps out at the camera and her claws come out and they've actually written in the sound effect, schnicked. Yes, S-N-I-K-T. They're having a little bit of fun here. And and even an elongated man thinks to himself, now where have I heard that before? And I didn't pick up on that. Like when, when he says... now. Now, where I hear that before, I thought he was talking about her dialogue until yeah. I noticed the word balloons. I'm like, oh, this is totally a Wolverine thing going on here. All right,
5: nice. I love it. And I didn't, like as many times as I've read this, i never even picked up on
0: that, but that is fantastic. <laughs> that has got to be like uh, like a, a scripting thing where they drew it first and had the word balloon there. I mean, they had the schnick there. And that's when the uh, Demetria said, okay, I got to add a comment about that, saying, where have I heard that before? That had to have been after the art, I've got to assume.
5: I think so. Yeah. But oh, my God, I, I love it. Yeah. The other thing I love is the next page 41. And we're not going page by page. I promise. I promise. <laughs> but on page 41, when um, you have the coverage, the media coverage of the Justice League and Global Guardians fighting the robot. Uh, it says, uh, and so this extraordinary battle continues as the magnificent Global Guardians, with a modicum of help from the European branch of the Justice League, battle valiantly once again to save the people of France. Then it shifts to America, and it says, live feed from Paris. We're the members of the Justice League, with a modicum of help from the Global Guardians, <laughs> battle valiantly.
0: <laughs> I, that was almost my bohaha pick because I liked that joke so much. I really, really like that bit. That's very clever.
5: I like that a lot. Uh, Another thing. uh, So on page 44, the lighting, the quote-unquote lighting uh, of the group in the sewer, I love that. I just think it's so, like, evocative. And as much as you don't want to place yourself in a sewer, <laughs> because of the lighting, you can really, like, picture it. Because it's going to be dark down there. And, and Jack-O-Lantern's light is what's illuminating all of the heroes.
0: It looks great. They really did a spectacular job with the, the shadows and the lighting. And, and on that panel where he's holding up the lantern and the next one where you see Owl Woman and Dr. Mist. and how a half Half of their face is illuminated because the other half's in mm-hmm. shadow. It's really, really well done. And you know, now that I think about it, this is the second time that Justice League's been in the sewers with, with Jack-O-Lantern because they were in there in like issue, I don't know, like four or something like that with him as well, making a habit of it. Yeah, it says something about Jack-O-Lantern. It sure does. So there are so many characters in this issue. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's I, I counted up. It's over like 20 superheroes, which is absolutely Crazy. Uh, Wait, Shag, Shag. Yeah. Call the roll, call, call the, the roll, call the roll <laughs> of the Guardians. So, I, do I need, do I, I, I guess I will do it. Okay, so you've got Dr. Mist, Jack lantern Owl Woman, Bushmaster, Godiva, Little Mermaid, Impala, Thunderlord, Olympian, Rising. Well, you, and then you have the, the three characters that are kind of unconscious Rising Sun, Tuatara, Wild Huntsman, and then you even get a glimpse of uh, Tasmanian Devil, who's, you know, a, a former member of the Guardians. Uh, it's surprising they didn't show fire or ice. I, you know, that would have made more sense if they showed them, because they were kind of members of that, that group as well. And of course, you got the Just League Europe, Captain Atom, Power Girl, Metamorpho, Flash, Elongated Man, Crimson Fox. And or, at this point, we still don't know a lot about Crimson Fox. And it's interesting, here she's talking without her really thick accent. And I mm-hmm. think that's because J.M.D. Mateus is scripting it. I think once we get other scripters, all, all that really thick accent comes in. Oui. We also get Major Force for, for, you know, a hot second. And that's pretty much just to tie up the loose ends from the Captain Atom annual like you said where she was a boy toy and of course Catherine Colbert and Sue Dibney and Queen B, and, and then you even get a Martian Manhunter Blue Beetle cameo so yeah. so many oh I forgot Dr. Light's in this too in fact she had one of my favorite jokes she's she's talking about helping the rising sun and she just casually refers to him as the second greatest hero of Japan is, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's so cute it's just the way she embeds that herself bra- uh, bragging in there it just cracks me up I love that so a couple quick things just no- things I noticed through here like uh, Crimson Fox has a great meta joke about she's talking about uh, she was going to have this night of passion with an American comic book editor. Oh, my gosh. James uh, DiMatteis is clearly having some fun with Dooley and uh, Hel- Helfer there. Yeah, yeah, Elongated Man. So this is just from the uh, from the hindsight department. Um, elongated Man on page 31 is yelling at – I guess it's a metamorpho. He says, if I die, I'm going to come back and haunt you, which is sort of creepy in hindsight because he did die in 52 – spoilers, sorry – and he comes back as a ghost and uh, him and his wife become ghost detectives for for a few years. Sometimes uh, you don't even know when you're predicting stuff.
5: That amazing foreshadowing.
0: Yeah, right. So I got to ask, the, the humor with the guy – I guess Hazen is his name – That was uh, Queen Bee's, you know, manservant. So she threatened to remove his tongue. She threatened to turn him into a eunuch. She talked about seducing him. She talked about executing him. I found all that stuff pretty funny, (laughs) which might make me a terrible person. Did you see it as funny or was it more like, ah?
5: I definitely see that it was humor. (laughs) I don't necessarily know that I thought that part was funny. Like, I do think she's a great character. Uh, she has great lines. It is kind of weird when she makes it a point to say that she doesn't have a sense of humor or she doesn't joke around or she does I thought that was weird because she's fantastic with, like, one-liners and great sayings. Yeah. But that that fell flat for me. Okay.
0: All right. See, I, it cracked me up. I guess maybe I just got too much of the hots for the Queen Bee. I don't know. Or like just like a strong woman. But uh, she, she cracks me up. I thought it was hysterical. So let's talk a little bit... About about the Global Guardians themselves. So I I love that Little Mermaid is the strongest-willed character, because she's the one you wouldn't expect, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So I love that aspect there. I think they really played it well. Uh, I like to see what she—now, I I feel like they kind of lost the thread towards the end, because, you know, all the teams in the sewer, and she's the one up on the surface— I guess I would have liked to see her have, like, a big hero moment, you know, to sort of uh, tie it, sort of, like, you know, put a button on it. But overall, though, I, I really liked her usage of the character and helping the innocence and stuff like that. I thought that worked well.
5: I wonder, and, and this is me reading into this, I, I don't think it's there, but I think a lot of times, like, younger people can, like, treasure things more than older people, like... Well, kind of like when Firestorm joined the Justice League, like he was just mm-hmm. so enamored, crazy. I kind of imagine it's like that for Little Mermaid. Like she's oh. so like fantastically happy to be here, so she probably like takes in everything and absorbs everything and thinks about it. And I kind of think that's maybe why she realized that stuff was off. You know, it's that sense like, wait a minute, no this this doesn't feel like it. Like I'm not I'm not getting that same you know happy buzzy heady feeling that I normally do at a meeting like something is off so like that's me you know reading into it but I, th- I think it's a valid take
0: no i think you know and maybe this is just me applying the dc comics presents i just recently read where she talks about how she had to get permission from her parents to go out and be a superhero um that sort of tracks though where she's like you said a young a young person who's this is this is her escape this is her fun mm-hmm. being part mm-hmm. of this team so being back together with the team was probably pretty significant for her so that that makes a lot of sense that's you win yourself a no prize sir
5: oh <laughs> all right
0: <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Uh, jack-o'-lantern is a complete jackass uh, but this (laughs) is the first appearance of this new version because the last version the queen be killed and the next version will be again the primal force version so this is the sort of bad guy version we get for a while uh, you can't really tell any. He, uh, he, in fact he, they don't even try and make the Justice League realize it's a new version they want them to think he's the original version so they uh, I, I guess just being a jerk is enough to do it uh, they didn't notice the voice being different or whatever I suppose
5: and he's effective as a foil like not necessarily you know like a villain, just like a jerk like he's definitely effective as a jerk character
0: no that's true um, and Seraph so they mentioned him that he turned down the Global Guardians for personal reasons and I started scratching my head on that I mean like what was the point of not including him with all the other characters they have in here, why leave out that one guy? And I think the only thing I can think of is because his powers are so wrapped up in religion and biblical right. references and things like that. Yes. I think yes. they just wanted to avoid that. Yes. yes, so do I. Yeah. Okay.
5: Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. Yeah. I. Yeah. Ten thousand percent. Yes. That's why. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the final thing on Global Guardians is Tasmanian Devil. This is this is a bit of a sticky point for me as a married person. So there's always this will they won't they feeling between Tasmanian Devil in Joshua, right, who's the uh, Justice League Australia Bureau Chief. And at this point, Tasmanian Dable uh, has not been revealed to be gay to the to the reader at home. They don't do that until Justice League Quarterly number eight. Uh, but Joshua had, uh, it kind of, I guess you could say come out, a who's who entry outed him, let's put it that way, uh, yeah. where they mentioned Joshua had a husband. And, and this was a year ago. So what bothers me as a married guy, I'm like, well, wait, Joshua's got a husband. Only him mean, now. It's been a year. Maybe he's divorced now. But you get this vibe of what's going on but like, Tasmanian, th- he's got a husband, dude. That's not cool. You know, don't, don't be hitting on somebody when they're married
5: well i think like and and i am only speaking for my experiences as a 52 year old gay man um (laughs) in my experiences there definitely is like an an easy conversational style that you can have with gay brethren that you vibe with you know i've had co-workers where you know we you know quote unquote dirty flirt or whatever and like (laughs) like both of us know it's not going anywhere, but we're bored at work, so let's st- say stuff to each other. And, and I even think, and again, I am only speaking for my life experiences. <laughs> um, I, I, th- I think it's easier to, you know, flirt, and, and it depends on the kind of person you are. I think it's easier to flirt with someone when you know, like, there's not a chance of it
4: happening. That's fair. You know, so okay, okay. that's anything, fair. You can say anything,
5: you can do anything. You just, you know, it's, it's like, and, and even amongst you, heterosexuals, you you have your you you I, oh I, I've read field studies about this. You have your work husbands and your work wives, you know it's the same kind. Of that's true. Thing. that's true. that's that's my take on 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 that
0: relationship. No, that's all that's perfectly fair. That's absolutely I, I'd never heard what you call it dirty flirting. is that what she said? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dirty. dirty. I uh, I like that though cuz you're right. Sometimes that kind of happens at work where you're just goofing around with someone and like you said, you know it's not going to go anywhere. So maybe I yeah. I'm, I'm going to put that down uh in my head as a headcanon that's what's going on here simply because I feel bad for Arthur who's at home probably, you know, trying to be as good a husband as he can for Joshua and you know, and this is going on in the in the embassy. So or again, we could just say they're divorced by now. So
5: Oh my god, you should have heard what he said to his bowling pal when Joshua was at the embassy. <laughs>
0: All right, so looking back, so I got to ask you, as the uh, Global Guardians aficionado on the show, Mm -hmm. uh, do you recognize these as the Global Guardians? When you think back to your beloved super friends, do you feel like this is a good representation of of the group?
5: Uh, de- definitely costume wise absolutely <laughs> um, and, and well know i'm not i'm not even saying that in a you know in a, a smart alecky way um so like cost they are on point like you see them and you know they are the global guardians jack-o'-lantern using his lantern you know that's his powers like godiva with the hair um i don't know that of them really get a chance to shine you know bushmaster has like the, the turtle shell and, and and the camouflage so that's a little bit but 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 a lot of them like thunderlord you do see like the the rings coming out of his mouth but you don't really know like is that is that like a is that like a black canary cry is that like a red tornado like blast of wind Mm, like you don't mm -hmm. really know what like you see him doing stuff but you don't really know what it is so that that's a little disappointing i I just don't think every member got a specific chance to show off their power set but like you said whatever three minutes earlier there are 142 superheroes in this book (laughs) so it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to have everyone have you know two panels to show off what they do
0: well i think you probably get the most from Little Mermaid. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like Godiva gets a lot, even though it's yes. just a, a snippet here or there. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel like Jack-O-Lantern gets a lot. I, I feel like they, they thought Owl Woman was getting a lot, but she didn't really. She's been kind of integral throughout the whole Justice League era run, so you, you would think they get more with her. But yeah, like there's characters like Impala who got almost nothing to do. You see him use his powers one time, really. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, like you said, 142 characters, what are you going to do, right? Yeah. So So it sounds like like you're satisfied that this is recognizable, not just visually, but also uh, you get the sense of the Global Guardians, even though maybe you didn't get it to go as deep as you wanted.
5: Right, I, I definitely loved seeing them again in in like a like a modern quote unquote grown up. Version versus Super Friends or DC Comics Presents. Um, It definitely was like a more um, updated look at them. And and I was actually hoping that this really would spin off, even if it was just like a six issue miniseries where maybe the first, you know, two or three issues, they were under the control of Queen Bee and then by issue four, five and six, they break out of it and then can go off and have new adventures, whether that book would have been picked up or not. Like I could see that storyline being followed up.
0: I haven't read ahead other than first run when these were all published but I believe I could be wrong but I believe the Global Guardians do get a run of stories in Justice League Quarterly but I have to say as I recall at least Justice League Quarterly could, could be real hit or miss with quality so uh, I don't know how well they were portrayed there I don't know
5: this this is absolutely not me speaking as an expert this is me as someone who printed out the Global Guardians appearances from Mike's Amazing World and this is it this is the last one listed
0: really? oh Oh, well then, okay, they
5: definitely appear later than this. I wonder if it's individual heroes, so maybe it's not.
0: And Mike's database isn't always up to date on characters. Like, you can get... Uh, The issues themselves are absolutely up to date, as far as, like, you know, you've got uh, when it was published and all that stuff. But the character indexes, it was a much bigger project and wasn't always done. So... Okay, okay. We'll we'll leave it to you folks at home to do the research on that for us, because I'm frankly too lazy at this point.
5: Yes, tell me in the comments so I can order it on eBay.
0: There you go. (laughs) Now, I (laughs) want To talk about Linda Medley's artwork here. So this is her first work on a Justice League title, and we'll be seeing more of her down the line in a lot of Justice League issues coming up. I'm of two minds. Like uh, when I first read the issue, I was like, "Yeah, it was fine." And now that I've spent a lot more time going through this, like you say, panel by panel, uh, I, actually, there's a lot to love in here. I mean, she really did a lot of really great work. Now I, I do have a few more Easter eggs I like pointing out. On page 27, there's a moment where the Queen Bee is she's she's lounging on a couch, and she goes off to go step on the balcony and it's just stupid but I absolutely adore she fixes her shoe yeah, you know, yeah. and that's just such a real moment uh, I, I love that you know on the next page you know Catherine Colbert she's wearing these giant earrings and I didn't notice till like the third time reading through they say JL on them for Justice yeah. League <laughs> which is great you know, page twenty nine. The next page, there is a panel that I absolutely adore. It's the bottom. It's on page twenty nine. The bottom left hand panel. Metamorpho is stretching out of the kitchen and he's zooming around a corner because he's going to go yell at uh, the Justice League because they're, they're anyway. There's a there's a ruckus. Anyway, I just love the way she drew Metamorpho. She gave she gave him this big angry face like a rah, and he just looks fantastic. That, that's one of the things I realized as I'm going through this is she's got a great cartoonist style now. Mm-hmm. Technically, all comic book artists, I think, fall under the label of cartoonists uh, by definition. But this really feels like there's a great illustrative, cartoony, caricature-ish quality through a lot of this stuff, and I think it's a lot of fun. I think she's a she's a great pick for a Justice League book. When you look back, you know, Kevin McGuire was known for faces, and Ty Templeton was known for like a minimal amount of lines, and Adam Hughes is beefcake and cheesecake, and and, and Bart Sear's is you know rippling muscles, and Linda Medley brings like a cartoon quality to it. I, again, at first I was. Was, eh. But now the more I really take time to look at it, I'm kind of in love with this.
5: Well, and also there's there's absolutely no faulting the layouts. You know, these are big group shots and you can, you know, you can see where the characters are. You know, there's a sense of movement on page 48 when Captain Adam blasts the robot. Like that's, that's such a great panel. Like it's, it's just slightly off kilter, not, not like a Batman villain in the 66 show, but it's just <laughs> slight, slightly off center. Captain Adam is in the middle of the bottom third. And then the the top of the panel is the robot being blasted away from his blast. But then behind Captain Adam is Metamorpho, like, creating a protective wall. And then behind him are the other heroes. So there's such a sense of layering and depth in that panel. Like, that's fantastic.
0: Well, you've also got the Kirby crackle around the captain. You've got the water boiling at his feet. Um, And now that I look at this, I realize what's actually going on in the background. Metamorpho and (gasps) Godiva.
5: Oh, yeah.
0: They're bracing the sewer roof. Because they and know yeah, the roof yeah. could cl- collapse on the heroes. So yeah. Now, to be fair, Keith Giffen did do the breakdowns. So some, you know, oh, a lot of the layout right. is going to go to Keith. But there's still oh, okay. so much in her artistry. There's so many of these Easter eggs. It, it just it looks fun. You know, like the giant explosion on page 46, which is when the robot explodes in the in the above them. I mean, that's a powerful moment. I mean, and that's yeah. whether whoever designed did the layout, it doesn't matter. It's drawn expertly. I mean, you really, the shadows, the way the lighting hits everyone in the bottom part of it, it's really impressive. I I think she did a great job. Yeah, I it, agree, yeah. Now, here, here's something for you. She goes on, Linda Medley, that is, goes on to do the Global Guardian's Loose Leaf Who's Who entry and was inked by Art Adams. So, that thing Ooh. is super gorgeous. It's one of it's one of my favorite Gar- Global Guardian's pieces of artwork. Ooh, Keep yeah.
5: talking, because I'm going to look that up. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> There's a website called firewaterpodcast.com and, and they do a <laughs> show called Who's Who. You could probably find it in one of the image galleries there. Just saying. <laughs> this is a pretty safe bet. If it's Art Adams, I probably... I do the image gallery Calories, yeah, I probably put it in. So, <laughs> well, I think we've covered the issue Uh overall. You know, would you put it as in the win column or put it in the maybe column, or what do you think? Oh, for me, it's a win, definitely, absolutely. And, and I was coming into this apprehensive because these Justice League Europe's I haven't reread. So when I saw it was Global Guardians and I saw it was Linda Medley, I was like, hmm, okay. Um, but I'm really, really thrilled with this issue. I had a great time with it, and I'm so glad that uh, I spent the time to really dissect it because it's there's a lot to love in here. So with that, folks, we are now. going going to go to the blahaha award. This is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Sean will pick one moment, and only one will be awarded the coveted blahaha award. Sean, you're the guest, so you get to share your suggestion first. What do you got?
5: Okay, so my pick is on page 31 in the midst of battle with the robot, Metamorphos says, "Why is it these things only happen to us?" And Ralph says, Because we're the Justice League. We've got a tradition of chaos and ineptitude to uphold. And Metamorpho says, Just once I'd like chaos and ineptitude to go visit the Doom Patrol or the Titans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a great line. That was also very nearly my pick, and and I I'm, I don't know that I'm in love with my pick, so I may be willing to roll over here real quick and give this to you. So we'll have to see. Uh, I'll tell you mine, and then we'll go from there. Mine is on page 43. It's the big hero moment. All the characters are leaping into the hole that they've just blasted down to the sewers. Every character's there. Every character's leaping down in there. It's a big hero shot, and in fact, they make a joke about it. Uh, Metamorpho says this is one of those moments that the fans love, isn't it? A dozen of the world's mightiest heroes joining together to face danger, nobly uniting against a common threat. Captain Adam yells, Ralph, grow up! This isn't a comic book! This is the Justice League! Which is a very meta joke. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's it's probably too meta. Maybe that's why it's not funny. I don't know. It cracked me up. I found it funny. So now we have to decide which is the better moment of the issue. The the joke that we both like or this moment? What do you got to say? Uh, but I like this one too.
5: <laughs> that's gonna make it worse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, only one's walking away with the rewards. So where, where's your where's your gut going?
5: I'm gonna say voting for yours so that I get to record with you sometime again in the future.
0: <laughs> Flattery will get you everywhere, Sean.
5: <laughs> See
2: that's
5: that that's clean flirting. That- <laughs>
0: I love it. And I'm all about flirting, and I'm all about uh, self-congratulations, so I'll take the win. So there we go. Congratulations to every single member of the Justice League and the Global Guardians who are in this page. Oh my gosh, how many heroes are we talking about here? Um, Uh, 3,453. Thank you. You counted it for me. Perfect. Exactly right. Congratulations to all of you. You have won the coveted Bwahaha Award. It is as tangible as the laughter we give you. All right, now, Sean, I need to ask a favor. I don't know if you noticed, but there is this giant hole out in the lawn. on the embassy. Now, would you mind hanging around here for a bit and kind of help oversee the landscaping repairs? I figure with your Tetris experience, you can kind of tell the landscapers exactly how everything should fit together. Is that fair?
5: I know exactly where to place my Tuatara topiary.
0: (laughs) Perfect. That is exactly what I'm looking for. I appreciate that. Now, don't worry, Sean. We will bring you back at the end of the show. And while Sean is taking care of that for us, folks, I'm going to read your listener feedback in a segment called... Justice Log, and we've got to recognize that back on February fifth. Justice League number 1 by Giffen, DeMatteis, and McGuire celebrated its 34th birthday. Oh my gosh, that's insane. Next year, folks, will be 35 years. we got to make sure to have a big party for that one. So Now, as I'm going through your feedback, remember, get out on the social medias. Use our hashtag FWPodcast. Tag me at JLIPodcast. Uh, as I always say, it's about building a community of online JLI fans around this show. And remember, when you're posting your comments, if you're outside of the United States, please let me know, and we will assign you the appropriate embassy. Right now, I'm going to be touching on your comments from our website our email social media things like that just pulling bits and pieces because there's so much feedback Uh, this document I'm looking at of collected feedback is 22 pages long oh my gosh I'm going to be covering your feedback specifically from the most recent episode where we cover JLA number 37 with my guest Nathaniel Wayne and Justice League Europe number 13 with my guest Matt Anderson First up, Michael Kramer writes in to say, I always love the look of fire in the, Oh, I haven't thought of that. She reminded me of a girl I went to high school with. So while the scene presents fire in a very uncharacteristic manner, it remains a longtime favorite of mine. Aw, that's actually a very nice story, Michael. Thank you for sharing that. Then we heard from Bradley Null, who says, The two-part cat saga? I love this story. This is where I remember the split between those who liked the funny stuff and those who wanted the taken seriously happen. I was on the keep it funny side, looking back, I think making the primary superhero team the only humor in an otherwise dark dcu was an odd choice i love this run i love it for being odd thanks bradley then we heard from gus casals from our argentina embassy he does podcasts such as alfred pennyworth presents and his legion's 60 years later podcast gus writes in to say great episode but with caveats I love Nathaniel's YouTube work, and I'm also a fan of people reacting to stuff they're not familiar with. But in this case, I felt like it broke the format a little too much for my taste. That said, Nathaniel's fresh eyes on this material were very welcome, and their observations on the team dynamics and the EXTREME movement were very controversial, but on point. Ditto with what he said about Guy, and also came up with Wally later in the episode. Thanks for your comment, Gus. I appreciate that. Now, please bear in mind, folks, that Gus was a past guest of the show, so I think what he's trying to say is it was all downhill after his episode. But anyway, no, you, you make a fair point. I mean, Nathaniel's appearance on the show was a bit controversial, which, quite honestly, uh, fits for Nathaniel quite well. <laughs> but uh, some people loved it, some people didn't. And that's okay, because I think we're at a point now where we can change up the format. Sometimes we're going to have an episode that agrees well with everyone, and sometimes maybe not. And I don't mind the experiments. And uh, Nathaniel's an old friend, so I was glad to have them on the show. Show. Gus goes on to say, Chris Sprouse, man, the hell for office could find him, couldn't they? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Gus. Chris Sprouse, amazing. Then we heard from DC Dave, uh, followed up on that and said, with no disrespect intended to either Shag or Nathaniel, I agree. Clearly Nathaniel is good at what they do and Shag, part of your charm is you sparring teasingly with your co-host. I really enjoyed the wide range of co-hosts that you've had, especially for the wide range of co-hosts that I've never heard before. The fresh voices have been great. In this particular case though, it was a good experiment, but one that I felt like it fell a bit flat. Any stumble that I perceived in the first half though was completely rectified in the second half with a very charming Matt Anderson and he was a joy to listen to. My faith in the show remains, and I look forward to the next episode. Well, thanks, Dave. I appreciate your honest feedback. I really do. And just following up on what I said earlier, I totally understand why last episode may not have been someone's cup of tea, but hey, you know what? I think it was interesting to have Nathaniel on the show, and I'm glad that they brought a fresh perspective. Then we heard from Jason Lady, author of the young adult humorous fantasy adventure novels, Monster Problems, and Super Problems. Jason writes in to say, yes, the two-part cat story. I think JLA number 37 was the first JLI issue my dad and I bought right off the shelf. Like Shag and Matt, the cover just drew me me in. Reread both of these recently and I enjoyed them, and I never noticed the problems about the timeline between the two issues until you guys pointed them out. Then Jason goes on to say, How about the time difference between the USA and France? They're actually six hours or so ahead of us, so that also throws confusion into the timeline. In these stories, it's evening in New York City and during the day in Paris. Hmm. All good points, Jason. Thank you. Then we'll hear from Tim Price from the Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast, and the Batgirl and Huntress podcast. Tim writes in to say, So, JLA number 37 is not new reader friendly, and that has an awful person behaving badly. Got it. Seriously, Guy's line to fire was never good, but it really hit hard rereading it today. It just doesn't hold up well, no shame in saying it. Aside from that, I love this two-parter, Guy and his arch nemesis, the Yellow Cat. If I can ever work up the cash, I would love to get a commission from Kevin McGuire of them together. Then Tim goes on to say that he agrees with me that Justice League American number 37, is hilarious, and uh, he cites several different things that were very, very funny. And then he comments on something I had said, where I was talking about fire and how DC was trying to catch up with sexy characters to Marvel, and uh, he calls me out on that. He goes, Ahem, Legion of Superheroes by Mike Grell in the 1970s? Nuff said. Yeah, as I said in the air, I knew I was forgetting a bunch of sexy DC characters, so thank you, Tim, I appreciate that. David S. Gutierrez is right in to say, ooh, Nathaniel Wayne didn't like something? In a very sarcastic way. Nathaniel, of course, replied, i I know, right? Who would have possibly guessed? <laughs> uh, David goes on to say, Interesting mix of guest shag. In one corner, the upstart, in the other, the fan. I like the variety. Then he speaks to Justice League America. He says, This is when I started to check out. It felt too comedic. Where was a DC fan to go for some big-time action preaching the best of DC's characters? Acronym Legion? Wait for the next crossover? JLA started its slow death cycle here when the B-listers who are allowed character development become the focus, leaving the name draws out of the team book. As for the positive, holy crap, is Adam Hughes amazing? Yes, Nathaniel, there is some male gaze here. And yes, fire's look is anything but practical. But Hughes draws the hell out of this book. You're not wrong there, David. You're not wrong. We heard from Joshua Romano. Joshua writes in to say a lot of deep discussions in episode 37. So much of the things we love from the 1980s don't work now. In Back to the Future, Biff tries to rape Marty's mom, and his comeuppance is that he works for them, but is still close enough to the family that he's there when George reveals his new book. So yeah, Guy and Wally are tough to read at times. You're absolutely correct for that, Joshua, and uh, thank you for ruining Back to the Future for me. Uh, thanks, I guess. Then we heard from Chris Franklin for the Firewater Podcast Network. It does shows such as JLU cast, Batman Nightcast, and much more. Chris writes in to say, I agree. This was a nice balance between the uninitiated local curmudgeon and the newcomer longtime fan. Uh, Then he says, is Fire's midriff on the cover any worse than the massive amounts of cleavage on display with Power Girl? I know that's her shtick, but jeez-o-p. Sears brings us within a fraction of a millimeter from a wardrobe malfunction. (laughs) You're absolutely right, Chris. Then he says, I love Adam Hughes' art, but anyone think the lighting on Guy's face on page 16 makes it look like he's got old man turkey neck? I know that's the collar of a sweater, but it looks like a bunch of baggy old man skin. Oh, (laughs) thanks for pointing that out, Chris. Then we'll hear from Matthew Cody, who writes in to say, It seems Blue Jay died off panel in the Heroes in Crisis miniseries with his body shown. Of course, this seems to mean absolutely nothing with current continuity, so I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually see him again. It's enough for me to see his appearances in the JLI era, reading a lot of these for the first time. Love the comics in your podcast afterwards. Aw, thank you, Matthew. I really appreciate that. And yeah, regarding modern-day DC continuity, uh, I've heard lots of people say, if you don't like what's going on in DC, just wait a few minutes. They'll completely revamp the universe, and everything will come back that you used to love. Then we one from Mike Dynas from the Pacific Canadian Embassy. Mike says, that was a lot of fun. Well done, Nathaniel and Matt on great discussions about these issues. It was hilarious to hear whenever extreme was brought up. Now, Mike, little insider info for you there. That extreme sound clip, I actually took that from Nathaniel's old 90s Comics Retrial podcast. So that's actually uh, Nathaniel, I believe, screaming that. Mike goes on to say, as much as I love the Bwahaha JLI, I do remember being slowly turned off by the comics at this point because of the extremeness that was slowly creeping in. So to hear these issues covered, which was full of capers and hijinks, was awesome. I found it really interesting to hear Nathaniel's take on fire. These are things I just never thought of reading these issues at the time, but in hindsight, makes so much more sense. While I agree with Shag that her character is one who is comfortable with her sexiness, there's definitely times where it's reading like a man was writing her dialogue. For example, I never thought of that. And if I can notice it, it must be bad. Then Mike goes on to say, "And the whole issue of Justice League Europe was great. This was the silly comedy at its zenith." Now, for people who don't want the funny in their funny books, I can see how this would turn you right off from reading the blahaha JLI. I mean, the league doesn't fight some blue beam or a threat to the Earth that will shock the DC universe to its core. They were fighting a stinky alley cat while trying to maintain their composure around schoolchildren. It reads like an episode of Faulty Towers. <laughs> nice comparison, Mike. I appreciate that, and it will become more relevant as we get into Justice League Europe. Actually, then Lizanne Oswald writes in. Liz has her own YouTube channel. Liz Liz writes in to say, I like the issue, and the horror bit on the cover is a staple in comedy comics, so it works, to the point where Alan Davis reused it when he was drawing and writing caliber. and the group was threatened by an exploding Tweety Bird. <laughs> and then uh, Liz says, and having the two covers reference each other was great. And then Liz says, and as far as Nathaniel not getting the comedy in the book, kind of makes them the Power Girl or the Hawkman of the group. But, oh well. Glad they were a good sport about it, though. Oh my gosh, Liz. Calling Nathaniel the Hawkman of the group is is like my new favorite thing. I'm going to use that whenever I get a chance. That is fantastic. Appreciate that. Then we're from Martin Gray from our Scottish Embassy. He also has two Dangerous for a Girl blog. Martin says, Congratulations on another terrific show. On the one hand, I wish Nathaniel had read the book earlier and could have told you that they hated it and put off the appearance until a friendlier issue came along. On the other hand, it made for a great listen as Nathaniel offered their insights. Plus, annoyed people are always fun to listen to. <laughs> then Martin says, Sensational podcast debut from Matt. Both of these issues were great fun, but this was the best one. And hey, Bo may have been in the towel over in JLA, but Wally was in his boxers in JLE. You know, Martin, you make a great point. We get the cheesecake in justice league America, but we've got the beefcake in justice league Europe. Perfect. Then we heard from Everton Vieira do Carmo from our Brazil embassy. Everton wrote in to say legends of tomorrow made me read the booster gold series by Jeff Johns. And this booster gold series made me give JLI a chance. And that's to say, I've started reading this league because of booster and now he's gone. When I read this edition, all the following editions were okay. When does he come back? No, that's fair ever Tom. Now keep in mind booster will be a very important character in the season. Series when we get to justice league quarterly which isn't too far away so don't give up hope booster will be back Then we heard from Doug Van Diver with his old bolty neck blog. Doug writes in, I heard that grumpy old man Katar Hall face-tubed their hot take on this story, (laughs) which amounted to a big old rant about how it took two issues for the JLI to adopt a dumb cat, unlike how the old league would have adopted a bird on the first page of a 1964 comic and then get on with the actual adventure. Yes, okay, Katar was the bird in that issue, just like America number 31. Wanna make something of it? (laughs) Doug, I love that. That was freaky. I I had no idea where you were going with that when it started. Started. That was freaking hilarious. They were from Symbol Pending from our UK embassy. Symbol Pending also runs a Power Girl blog called, you guessed it, Symbol Pending. They write in to say, I am disgusted that you didn't do a profile on the real star of both books, Stinky the Cat. <laughs> Not only does he carry on through the Justice League Europe run, he, or a version at least, carries on adventures right up into Power Girl's 2009 run. I demand you fix this immediately. Or, you know, I guess my little comment here will be good enough. <laughs> Thank you so much, Simple Pending. They were from Jimmy McGlinchey from our Irish embassy. Uh, Jimmy writes in to say, Irish Embassy calling, and fine, I admit it, it was my fault that the transporters weren't working to allow the Justice League America transport to the Paris Embassy. However, it's not my fault. It's a standing procedure that we need to clean out the transporters if an animal of some kind is put through it. This was after Guy stuffed Nort into the transporter after invasion to get him out of the way, and it messed up the tubes for weeks. Why do you think Animal Man's luggage disintegrated when he was moving to Paris? (laughs) Thank you, Jimmy. I love your comments. Uh, Jimmy goes on to say, uh, both parts of furball were excellent. The Hughes art on JLA number 37 was absolutely amazing, and we finally see the booster blow-up that's been building for some time. The fight between Guy and the cat was hilarious, and it was great to see John lose his straight man role to hit some zingers about Guy. All in all, an excellent issue. Then Jimmy goes on to say it was interesting to see Chris Sprouse's early artwork on Justice League Europe number 13. I think he was probably hindered by the inker, because when he was paired with Steve Mitchell in the 1990 Batman Annual, or by Carl Story in Legionnaires, his art was a lot more crisper than what appeared here. You know, that could be a very good point Uh, because I remember Chris Sprouse's Legionnaires work being really polished, uh, which isn't, you're right, that very far away. And Jimmy says, great insights, as always, from your guests, Nathaniel and Matt, and I'm looking forward to the next episode. Aw, well, thank you, Jimmy. Now, folks, this is the part where we thank everybody who shared the show on their social media timeline. We're talking Facebook, Twitter, get out there. All you gotta do is hit retweet or share, and you will end up on this list. And I know, it is a long list of names. I know how that works. I listen to other podcasts myself. I know it gets kind of boring, but man, these folks showed their support and helped promote the show. So it's really important that we recognize these individuals. They're part of our community. And our community is growing, folks. This time we're looking at nearly 80 names of people who helped promote the last episode. So here is everyone who helped promote the last episode by sharing it on Facebook or retweeting on Twitter. Our thanks to alexander m andre tfg australian avenger billy delicious blue beetle in the booster gold facebook group bradley null brent thomas canadian geek chris franklin chris lewis chris Leiden coffee and comics council of geeks dave's comic heroes blog david ace gutierrez dc in the 80s dc now a dc fan podcast digest cast dr Ange. dr jennifer schwartz levine Dr. Pop Culture, Bowling Green State University, Ed Moore, Fade Out Podcast, Fan Films Friday Podcast, For All Mankind Super Friends Podcast, Green Lantern HG, Gus Casals, Homework the Podcast, Into the Weird, James Young, James R. Lady, Jeff Poyerre, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Tonello, Jonathan Die, Justin Steiner, Lantern Cast, Lizanne Oswald, Luke Dobb, Mark Lax, Martin Gray, Martin Kogan, the MASH 4077 cast, Matt Anderson, Matt Ev, Matthew Kramer, Mike Dinus, Mountain Comics, Nuno Duarte, Ollie at Oliver1212, The Outcasters, Batman and the Outsiders podcast. Paul Keehan, Pod Dylan, Pragmatic Gollum, Prairie Justice, The Greg Saunders Vigilante Podcast, (laughs) Reverse Matt, Rob Kelly Creative, Roger Preeb, Rolled Spine Podcast, Sean Ross and the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Siskoid, Super Lad Kid, Superman Radio Revisited Podcast, Superman Movie Minute The Aquaman Shrine Tim Price Treasury Comics Trent Lewis Turbo Comics Warlord Thanos Podcast Warlord Worlds Willie Arbro and Zane Reed Johnson Oof, man. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI Podcast. Your feedback and support is such a critical part of the show and this community of JLI fans t- is absolutely amazing and it just keeps building and I love all of you. Now, if I have forgotten or missed anyone I seriously, I'm very, very sorry. It would be probably the fault of Nathaniel Wayne or Matt Anderson. So let me know and I'll be sure to include you in the next episode. Please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. Our website is firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments there in the show post. That is where most of the activity is going on for the show. You can hit us up on Facebook as JLI Podcast or Justice League International Blah Podcast. On Twitter, we're JLI Podcast. And our email is jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Nathaniel Wayne and Matt Anderson for appearing on the most recent episode of the show. And thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break. When we come back, we'll see if we can bring Aaron and Sean together in the same embassy.
1: There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people
5: to see if we could become
1: something more
5: so when they needed us we could make the podcasts
3: that they never could
4: Time you will know what it is like to cross over. To feel so desperately that the comic is right, yet to fail all the same. Regret it. Run from it. March 2021 still arrives. Evacuate the network. Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, a cold Mountain Dew. Haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Sun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. This does put a smile on my face.
2: You guys.
1: The Merry Marvel Marching Society. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the way. A podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of JL May. Coming in March 2021. Covering Marvel's fall crossover event. A vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto,
0: the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before.
1: An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with, but who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal's strings? And can the
2: Avengers
4: take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avenger Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fanholes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird justice not entirely dissimilar to lightning a thunderbolts podcast Longbox crusade married with comics the quantum cast resurrections an adam warlock podcast rolled spine podcasts and views from
0: the long box marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021 act of vengeance a true story Okay, folks, we're back from break. And yes, it does appear the JLI teleporter has brought both Aaron and Sean together for us. Now, first, Aaron, my thanks for appearing on the show. It has been an absolute blast getting back together. I missed visiting you in Ohio. Uh, Hopefully, after the pandemic is over, I'll get myself back up there again. But in the meantime, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you on the internets?
1: I will, although I'm a little uh, unnerved that the teleporter has brought myself and Sean together uh, in sort of a Jeff Goldblum kind of. way, a little bit of Kroger body horror happening here. But while we work on getting my genetic code extracted from Sean's genetic code, you can find me, uh, you can find my artwork on Facebook under Art of Aaron Bias, and that is A-A-R-O-N B-I-A-S, S S as in Sam. Or you can find me on Instagram at Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, underscore bias, B-I-A-S, underscore art. Shaggy, I appreciate you having me. Uh, It's been too long since we've gotten together. Uh, Hopefully, when the plague's over, you'll be able to pass through Ohio again, and maybe Professor Allen and little Russell Burbage of Intercourse, Pennsylvania, and now of Imbecility, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, and join us and we can all meet up again for some more fine dining.
0: That would be awesome. We'll bring in Al Gurning, We'll bring in everyone else that we can find in Ohio that we've ever met and uh, it would be awesome to see you guys again. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Aaron. I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you. Now, Sean, this has been absolutely awesome, man. I've been wanting to talk to you for a very long time. I'm glad we found a, a reason to come together, especially with your beloved Global Guardians. So thank you for being here.
5: Thanks a lot. I had a lot of fun.
0: Uh, so why don't you tell the listeners at home where they can find you on the interwebs?
5: Um, I'm an old man, so I'm still on Facebook. And if you want to <laughs> if, if, if see what I have to say, I am Sean M. Myers on Facebook. You'll see a whole lot of movie posts uh, right now. Now I'm posting an image a day of the Muppet show until that Uh, I also have a different Facebook website just called Sean Myers, where I post a Disney music line and you have to tell me what movie and song it's from.
0: Oh my gosh. I didn't even know about this. It's like, uh, it's like your own little version of seen it. (laughs) Exactly. Right. That's awesome. Okay. Oh, I
5: am on Twitter under Krypton Kylie. However, I'm so much more of a lurker than a poster, but occasionally I'll put a funny comment on someone's post Awesome.
0: Well, Sean, again, thank you so much for being here. I really, really enjoyed this. And by giving me the Bwahaha Award, you have guaranteed that you'll be on another one of my shows at some point in the future.
5: All right, it worked.
0: (laughs) All right, folks, now that is going to do it. Come back next episode when we take another side trip. We're going to take a look at some Guy Gardner appearances just prior to him joining the team. And we'll explore some JLI appearances in both Power of the Atom and Booster Gold. We'll have more guest hosts to help me cover the issues. Who will they be? Come on, people, you know how this works. You're just going to have to wait and find out next episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Aaron. And I'm Sean. And you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make make something something of it? it?
4: One lantern here who deserves the credit. It's Nort. (laughs) Nort, I told you, no licking.